episode 257, Hot Shot Scott, and I have one question. Yes. What in the fuck? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's did, so fun podcasting. <laughs> did I just watch? I have no answers. I have nothing. What the hell? Oh my I don't God. know. I can't even I can't even put into words the Monday night football. That was for so many reasons the most bizarre Seahawks game I think <laughs> I have ever watched. I mean, out of nowhere. Either the Seahawks all of a sudden have the best defense since the nineteen eighty five Chicago Bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the Giants have the worst offense since like the early 1900s when football was whatever invented. <laughs> I, I, always, I always wonder what it was like to watch the Bears in 85, like as a Bears fan. Well, now we got to see for almost every week, except for one, of course. Well, Florida, I can but- tell you, I can tell you what it was like to watch the 85 Bears on a Monday night in December. <laughs> I even tried to help you. I said in the all the weeks, Bowl. but one in Florida. Okay? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I remember that December day, 1985, <laughs> Monday Night Football. I'm sorry, everybody. No, that no, I no, no, no. Up. Listen, listen. I'm bringing it back <laughs> okay. home. But after what I watched tonight, I don't think Marino and the boys would have been able to do that <laughs> against the 2023 Seattle Seahawks. Jesus. Oh, the my 2023, God. week four Seahawks. Let's, what let's the make hell? sure we Where did that yeah. come from? I said on Twitter, did you ever think you'd hear anyone describe the 2023 Seahawks defense on a broadcast as a feeding frenzy? Crazy. Like, <laughs> what the hell is going on out there? Absolutely. Feeding frenzy. Absolutely nuts. Where do we begin? Well, we haven't even started the show yet, but Devin Witherspoon, should is that what everybody's going to be talking about in the morning in Seattle for the next two weeks until they play another game because they have a bye this week? Is everybody going to be talking about the number five overall pick who showed glimpses his first game, showed more glimpses his second game, and then his coming out party on national television? Unreal. Two sacks, a pick six, a lot of tackles. In fact, he was he was yep. this close to having his third sack. In fact, I thought he had his third sack because Daniel Jones was falling out of bounds when he threw a ball away. And I thought for a second that he had stepped out of bounds before he threw it. And had that been the ruling, Devin Witherspoon would have had a three-sack pick six performance in his third ever game as a Seahawk NFL cornerback. How about that? (laughs) I'd like to say something that I heard my dad say about 8,000 times in my life. Yes, yes. I I don't normally, but tonight I'll make an exception. (laughs) This is for Devin Witherspoon right here. Every night in my life I had to hear, I I don't normally, but tonight I'll make an exception. So here you go. This is to you, Devin. Is that the end of the Jalen Carter, why didn't we draft him conversation that I've been part of for the last yeah. like many months are we done with that now officially can we put that away now officially or is this just one game and we're going to be bitching and moaning about Devin Witherspoon in like three weeks from now that he's overrated and no good ask <laughs> me around February what I think about that draft decision if you don't so, mind bizarre to say the least so Devin Witherspoon has two sacks and a pick six in his third ever NFL game the Seahawks had 11 Sacks. Now you've heard me you've heard me tell the story about Mike Holmgren one day, many, many years ago, invited me over to the Seahawks headquarters when they were in Kirkland and we were yep. walking through the building and he stopped like randomly in a hallway and he looked in my face and he said, You know, you're obsessed with the pass rush. Has anybody ever told you that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's I, right. I pled guilty at the time. Do you think I enjoyed eleven sacks? 
on a Monday night, on a random Monday night in the Meadowlands in East Rutherford, New Jersey. 11 effing yeah. sacks by the Seahawks. Four guys, by the way, hot shot. <laughs> Four guys had two. Now, to put that in its proper perspective, the Seahawks are going to play a lot of games this year where they don't have two as a team. <laughs> oh, they, for sure. There's no question. Four guys had two. <laughs> four. <laughs> yeah, and it was all the levels too, right? It was down linemen, linebackers, DBs. It Forget was just, it. Forget who it. Who wants a sack? You get a sack, everyone gets a sack. Spoon it was had two. Bobby Wagner had two. And Wosu had two. Brooks had two. They had 11. It was so bizarre. How about Jamal? We don't even remember that Jamal Adams oh, came back unreal. and he was hurt on the first possession. He nearly, by the way, had a sack. He whiffed on a sack. He had a chance in that first possession. And then he had a big pop on like a screen pass or a little dump off pass to the running yeah. back. He came up and cracked the guy. And a few more plays later, he was walking down the tunnel back to the clubhouse <laughs> out of the game for the Seattle Seahawks in concussion protocol. How about that? Yeah. It was like a bad dream. Like, bad. I'm going to wake up and go, you wouldn't believe this dream I had. Jamal came back, and then he got hurt in the first quarter. Like, you wouldn't have believed it if I told God. you I had that dream. It's unbelievable. I can only hope and believe that this one won't be that serious. That yeah. maybe he'll be out of concussion protocol in time for their next game, which doesn't happen for another, as we record this, another, what, 13 days before they play again. But Jamal time, Adams man. gets hurt. How about the offensive line? that the Seattle Seahawks ran out there tonight yeah. after Phil Haynes got hurt and Damian Lewis got hurt. Do you realize what the offensive line was for the Seahawks for the better part of three quarters of that game on Monday Night Football? Do you know Not what they were? Not until you sent your tweet. Then I knew okay. what that offensive line Can was. I didn't even think about that. How many could you name? <laughs> they had yeah, right. They had Forsyth at left tackle. They had Evan Brown moving from center to guard. and He's the backup guard. He's the starting center, but the backup guard. So you had the backup tackle. You had the backup guard. You had Olu Atimi or whatever that guy's name, Olu from Michigan. <laughs> whatever his name is. He was playing Good center. What's his name? Yeah. He's the backup center. You had the backup right guard in Bradford, and you had Jake Curhan, the backup tackle. You were playing with backups at every single position along the offensive line. The only Forsyth I know is John Forsyth from oh. Dynasty. Duh. That's the only Forsyth I know right there. When you sent your tweet, I was like, wow, that's pretty damn impressive. I thought you were going to say Charlie's Angels. Hello, Angels. He was the voice was of Charlie. Was he, he not? He was Charlie. Yes, yes he was. Yes. Hello, Angels. Right. Good morning, Angels. You never saw him, right? You only saw Bosley. I, just, I wonder how that went with his agent. Okay, great news. We got a sitcom. ABC. <laughs> Great news. This sitcom. is going to be big for you. Not a sitcom. Don't ever call Charlie's Angels a sitcom. <laughs> okay, fine. A it drama. Was, it was an hour-long drama, my friend. All right. All right. Stay with me. Okay. This is going to be this is gonna be huge for your career. Okay. You're handsome. <laughs> Women are going to love you. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh, wait. Stay with me here. Stay with me, John. Yeah, they're never going to show your face the entire series. <laughs> I wonder how that conversation went. Jesus. Because he was like a handsome guy. He yeah, probably fancied handsome. himself like very, a matinee idol. Very you know? handsome. So yeah, 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 so yeah, the Seahawks offensive line you had. With that backup offensive line, you had Walker going for 4.7 yards a carry and Charbonnet 7 yards a carry on the ground behind a complete set of backups on the offensive line. You had Geno get hurt in the second quarter, go back for a knee scan and come out in the third quarter. You had Wagner with like 20 tackles. You had a million and six penalties on both teams. It was just one of, and maybe I'm just overreacting here, it was one of the most bizarre games Random, bizarre game. We are going to look back upon that. Now, I hope 
I hope that this means something, like maybe the Seahawks' defense has turned the corner or they're going to be able to parlay this into some other games down the line. But I got a sense that in about five or six weeks, you and I are going to be looking at each other like, do you remember that game in New York on that Monday <laughs> night? <laughs> yeah, it was so weird. What the hell it's happened? so weird. They had 11 sacks. They haven't had 11 sacks since, for God's sakes. I remember the Seahawks going to New England maybe five years ago or something. Oh, yes. Just think you... There's no way they're going to win this game. And right. for some reason, they kicked New England's ass yeah, in yeah. New England. So I think it was it a happens. Sunday nighter. You think we have anything to talk about on the Hawks no table on this episode 257? You think <laughs> there's a few things to talk about? You think it's going to be difficult to come up with a player of the game, a taco time player of the game for yeah. the Seahawks in this particular game on Monday night against the Giants? Anyway, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Five-star rating. Please, if you enjoy our work on Apple, give us a five-star rating and review. The best time of the year to become a Mitch Unfiltered patron, $5 a month. Peace show with Danny every week. Around the NFL with Randy Mueller every week. Seahawks no table with Brady and Brian every week. Shooting the shit with Slick every week. Don't forget, beat the boys. We're coming up on now weekend number five in the National Football League. Here are the three games and the password. They will be the Texans who have won a couple games in a row all of a sudden at the Falcons. Texans, Falcons, Saints at Patriots, Jets at Broncos, and the password is C-H-O-K-E, choke. That's the password. You'll probably find out why that's the password in our first segment. So guests on this episode, 257 Hotshot, the Seahawks No Table starring Brian Nemhauser, the popular Hawk blogger, one of the more dominant Seahawks performances of all time. We'll talk about it. The Mariners No Table with Jason and Joe, their reaction to the bitter Mariners disappointment and what happens next. And Rick Neuheisel is back. Is it too early to start talking Oregon and Washington? Start the countdown? Since neither of those two teams play this weekend, no. There's a reason they have two weeks before the Super Bowl. (laughs) We can talk about it nonstop. Let's go. I'm ready. Bring it on. Let's go. Episode 257 doesn't officially begin without a few words from our partners like the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. My family beginning conversations about downsizing. Great to have Jordan Flowers and the Cross Country team on my side. I'm in good hands. 425-890-2957. That's Jordan's personal phone number. 425-890-2957. Daniels Broiler. No doubt Lindsey Schwartz is spending a lot of his waking hours this week wondering if his USC defense is good enough. I'm thinking more about USDA Prime, the incredible filet mignon at Daniel's Broiler. You got to love Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses, evergreen golf call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, football season is pizza season at Zeke. Specials every NFL game day at all Zeke's locations, Thursdays, Sundays, Mondays. Also, download the new Zeke's mobile app for home delivery. It's awesome. Homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition. Week 5 password choke, all lowercase. A thousand bucks from Fireside Home Solutions to the winner and everyone who beats us wins a prize. Check out a new fireplace and garage doors at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Episode 257 begins right now.
Unfiltered. Did they just get swept in Texas after all that to start the 10-game stretch? Did they Did they just get swept? Looks like it. At the same time as the best, shittiest team in the history of professional sports, yeah. the Kansas City Royals, <laughs> yeah. went into Houston and swept the Astros in Houston. Unfiltered. At the end of the day, I just look at this and say, I'm not going to bust my head against the wall and try to say I learned anything or right. we should work or we should be encouraged. I'm not going to be encouraged. Good things, bad things. I'm throwing it all out. I'm saying Seattle beat the Carolina Panthers by 10. Let's see what happens next Monday night against the Giants. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 257 is now officially underway after the T segment plus the Seahawks. You know how I've been accused from time to time of being a troublemaker or trouble kind of following me? No, no, no. The first one. <laughs> there's a there's okay. a big difference well, between trouble following you yes. and you being a troublemaker. You okay. have been accused of being a troublemaker. Whether it's true or not, I have been accused. No, no. It's true. <laughs> and I don't remember anybody accusing you yeah. of having trouble following well, you. Well, I am accusing okay, you. Okay, well, that's okay. Because this You're time, yes, this yes. latest horse shit that went down oh, at no. a kid's game. Do we have drama? I've never seen Somebody with a like knee this. injury who pulls the brace off and throws it aside. That was a three out of ten compared to what I saw over the weekend. Oh, no. I mean, this was... Like bad? Is this bad, bad? I'm going to laugh or I'm going to cry. I'm going to be mad. What kind of uh, You're just going to shake your head. I okay, think. I'm you're ready. Just, you're going to throw your palm I'm ready. In, I'm yeah. ready. Anything to put off the Mariners discussion <laughs> for just a few <laughs> more right. minutes because yes. I know that's where we're going next. But go ahead. I'm all ears. All right. It's an AAU basketball game. Yeah. High school level. Yeah. Girls on one court, boys on the other. It's in a place called Pacific Courts. I'm sure oh. you're familiar with it. It's like your hometown court, right? Yeah. Uh, if they should get lighting in there would be good. <laughs> well, there's a few things they should get in there It'd as be well. nice if the if the players could actually see the basket when they're taking the shot. You think that, that helps a little bit, yes, does it? Yes. I know Pacific Courts very, very well. Right. Okay. Right down the road here. It yeah. sure is. I had a hunch you had been there. Why is it a, a high school thing? She's not in high school. Uh, she's a freshman in high school. Oh, she is a freshman. Turns in high out, school. I guess that's what she. That's where she goes every day. Oh, I didn't. So I maybe she's she an not eighth grader. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, exactly. It's going fast. By the way, on a double date tonight, but I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk. I don't want. Yeah, some couple of Eastlake punks. What? I don't talk about this. Is yes. she a Mount Sai High School? She's in High, High School, school because yeah. of the. Okay. Yeah, she's right. grandfathered okay. in that okay. whole thing. Yeah. So we're at Pacific Courts and. I just said to one of the dads how annoying it is. Can you picture those little score things that are on the table? Have you ever seen the scorekeeper put the score on the opposite sides of the benches? Happens all the time. Uh, okay, so you know it happens all the yes, time. Yes. And I yes. just said to a dad, it annoys me. It's a pet peeve, but whatever. Just okay. put it on the same side how as the benches. How hard is it? It's not that hard. Drives me crazy. Okay. okay. This that's is, sort of what... By the way, that's sad that that drives you crazy, but okay. There's... Plenty yeah. of things that drive me crazy. Okay, I don't okay, like yeah. George Carlin said, I don't yeah. have pet peeves. I have major psychotic <laughs> fucking hatreds. Okay. I'm the same way. So I just happen to say, okay. Yeah. So our coach looks over, sees the score. We were supposed to be up three. And now it looks like we're down three because the scores are flipped, right? Right. So now he's talking to the scorekeeper. Like, what's going forth. on back and forth? Yeah. And during that time, he missed a free throw that we made. Okay. Right. The scorekeeper? Yes. Or the coach? The, well, the scorekeeper. Yes. So now he owes us another one. So you're up four. You should, should be, be up four, four right? Yes, yes. And they're going back. And the scorekeeper's probably 23, 22. No skin in the game. No kid. No. Okay. He gets insanely sensitive and starts yelling at our coaches 
I'm not that guy. Don't talk to me like that. Oh, what were they saying to him? Like, pay attention. Well, first of all, he was on his phone and he missed the free throw and you got to pay attention. Yeah. The scorekeeper takes the table, flips it upside down. In the middle of the game? The little scoreboard thing almost hits the the ref. You're talking about the big black box. Yeah, the big black box. Yes. Yes. Almost hits the ref. She has to like do a move to get out of the way. First of all, the people that make those scoreboards... They should be commended. That thing still worked after all that. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Those things are fucking bulletproof. He, anyway. He flips the table. Okay. He comes running towards the coach, the, the assistant coach, gives him a two-handed shove. That guy flies over the bench. Hit, you know, he could have hit the back of his head. Wait a second. All this is happening while you're sitting there? Yeah, so now... This is your daughter's game? Oh, yeah. The coaches that coach her, they've been coaching her since fourth grade. They're like yeah. brothers at right. this point, right? right? Right, So, of course, now I get up to go try to stop it. You know, I just want to get in the middle because he's hot. Where are guy. you now? Which court, when I walk into the place, the court on the right or the court on We're the left? We're on the left. On the left. Yep. So you're probably sitting underneath the basket. Yep. Front row, buddy. T- towards the door of the place? Yes. Yeah, so exactly. I know exactly, exactly where little you're practice sitting. things behind that's me. That's right. That's yep. right. Yeah. I would sit there and I'd put a foot out for the opposing team every once in a while. That's so right. Teach him one of their big men. <laughs> yes. So yeah. me and another dad, do you, do you remember the names Lodrick and Roderick Stewart? Of course. Okay. They so, went to USC. Yeah, right. And they went to Rainier Beach, I think. I think, yeah. Rainier, yeah. yeah. So, Lodrick's there. His daughter's on the team with Piper. Okay. Lodrick, bear, I mean, Lodrick's 6'5", at this point, 300. So, everybody runs from where you are over to... A couple of the dads go to, like, get in between. So, he shoves the guy, he falls backwards, and then as Lodrick's bear-hugging him, he takes a, sw- a swipe at the assistant, smacks the head coach right in the head on accident. So, he flips the table, shoves a guy, and then punches our head coach. I'm like, what the, what's going on here? Wow. Yeah. It was so ugly and awful. I was like, maybe we'll just stick to softball. I, I, you don't get that shit in softball. Yeah, you do. Umpires? Well, umpires? Yeah, and, I guess and, umpires, and parents, but. Parents go out and, you know, punch umpires yeah, in the nose. Yeah, maybe it happens everywhere. Who knows? So it's, this is a guy who's just running, who's just like volunteering. Do we know what they said to him? Obviously, it doesn't warrant his reaction, the physicality of his reaction. Right. But what did they say to him that pissed him off so much? The assistant said, you got to stop being so sensitive. And after he said that, for whatever reason, it triggered yeah. him. Maybe someone called but him that, that as a was kid. After, or, I don't know. You, you got to stop being so sensitive. That's midway through the situation. Yeah, because he's saying, don't talk to me like that. I'm not a little kid or something. You know, so the coach that says, hey, you forgot our points. You yeah. got to get off your phone pay, and yes, watch. Pay it. attention. And, and then he says something. And then the assistant says, don't be so sensitive. Yep. And then he throws the unbelievable. It's, it was I've never seen anything like it in my life. This The table, everything on the court. I mean, these, they're 15, 16-year-old kids. Boys on one court, girls on the other. And is the game going on as well, all of this is happening? No, or did of it course stop? not. Yeah, it had to stop. It but stopped. the refs didn't really do anything. I mean, this guy, he remember Richard Sherman? Remember when he was pounding on that door trying to get in that yeah. level of fury? Yeah. That, this guy, he wanted to kill our assistant coach. He wanted to kill him. Really? And uh, good... Good God. thing that Stewart got there fast. Yeah. Well, he didn't get there fast enough. Not fast enough. <laughs> so he, he, who did he push? He pushed the assistant coach. Who went flying. Ass over tea kettle over right. the bench because okay. the bench was like right at his leg level and he right. just no chance. Okay. And then he tried to smack the assistant coach, but the, missed. The same assistant coach who's now on the floor? Well, he got up. And right. He, yeah. And then he was talking a little bit more, right. I think. Right. And, yeah, the assistant coach played at Seattle U, played point guard. He's not one to back down. He played, you know, he's so he was chirping still, and then he smacked our head coach on accident, I guess. The, so, what do you think the court's reaction was to all of this? What do you think happened to him, to that scorekeeper after everything kind of chilled he out? He stayed right there and continued keeping score. Close. <laughs>
they moved him to the other game, which, as you know, is two feet away, and his back's All just you like, do is turn around. That's right. You just you yeah. spin around to the other game. That's it. It's like the Catholic Church when they find out a priest so is they, touching they someone, they put the, him in a new parish. They like, took the scorekeeper from the other game yeah, and put him uh, on your... <laughs> that's the problem. He's scoring the wrong game. That's that's the problem. He's still three feet from your... Now, is this a first half issue or a second half issue? Second half. I think, I'm pretty sure it was the second half, yeah. Did cooler heads prevail and everything was all right? It did, but had you seen that, you would have been like sick to your stomach. Of course. Right. So, of course. So now... And have butterflies like something else was going to happen. Felt like maybe he's going to get friends. Who knows? Like, the shit might go down, right? Right. Somebody could pull a gun. You never know. Right. Somebody so, could pull a gun. The kids are trying to play ba- uh, <laughs> basketball. So now I'm just kind of like... I'm I'm heated. And so now I, I go up, you know, that little table is where you pay when you walk in, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two people there. A younger guy is probably 30, maybe 28. And then there's a woman there maybe older than me. And I'm like, he has to go. Like, we can't have him here. That's not good enough what he just did. He has to go. And as I'm standing there, another dad on the other team comes up and says, what's going on? That guy has to leave. He's got to go. And they're like, hold on, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure it well, out. Well, who made the determination just to change the scorekeepers on the games? I, it, there's only two people in charge at that time. One right. of them decided to just move him. Somebody in the tournament committee. like Yeah, the, the, yeah like there the was tournament two, director. But right. the head guy wasn't there. They were yeah. calling him. My God. So the head guy eventually shows up. And I, I'm, I, just, I just said to the woman, look, there's only two options here. He leaves and goes home and sleeps in his own bed tonight. And we all move on with our lives. Or he gets put in cuffs on the court in front of everybody. Because you can't be punching people in the face. You can't be shoving people. He'll get arrested. These guys don't want to press charges. But if he doesn't leave, we're going to need some help to get him out of here. Wow. Yeah. I was pissed. Like, those guys are like brothers at this point. Now, th- now, while you're doing this, the game's still going on. Yes. And and the lady's like, I- I'm trying to figure Piper's it out. Piper's lighting it up. I'm, yeah. I, w- she's made, I wouldn't know. She scored like 18 points while you're down there. That's right. That's right. Haggling with the, the <clears throat> official. Yeah. So eventually the head tournament guy, I guess he gets called and has to drive down. Wow. He shows up and he's talking to the coaches after the game. This guy couldn't have been more indignant and defensive. I, I never seen anything like it in my life. Oh, he says, this guy's been a good employee. I've had him three. Oh, you talk, oh, oh yes. This is nothing like this has ever happened ever since, since I've had. Well, him. it just did. But it just did. That's neither here nor there. Right now the game's over. The and game's well, over. So and what, what are you what are you asking for him to do now? Yeah. Just make sure that you do something. I don't know. Maybe make sure he doesn't work here anymore or yeah, work around sure. kids. I don't know. But he was getting super defensive and it just kind of indignant. This is the tournament guy. Yeah. Now. The head guy was. Oh, wow. I would like so a little more apologizing, maybe, but I don't know, to, at least to the coaches. Wow. And I, I was actually going to say to him, look, had you seen this, I got two words out. He goes, I don't need to hear from everybody. I don't need to hear from everyone. He was just like, had it. He was just had enough. While this is going on, the description to the tournament guy, where is the knucklehead? So he got asked to leave at some point before the so game he's ended. Gone. He's gone. He's yes. gone. Okay. He's out. He's out. I, I couldn't believe what I, I mean, he shoved our assistant coach so hard and it's just the coach is not a big guy. He's a little point guard. You know, he's smaller. And he just flew over the bench. Wow. He's got kids there and his wife. And it's just like, Jesus, man, calm down. Wow. But yeah. Thank you. And then swung at him. Yeah. After he got after out. After he pushed It him. wasn't enough that he shoved him That's down. That's exactly right. Wow. Took a swing. Wow. Took a swing. Is it possible the guy was just really irritated with the end of the Mariner season? Or is it, is it I mean, is it, that is that a possible explanation? I think that he, maybe he was just... On the edge because yeah. he's a huge Mariners fan. I think he would have connected with the punch if, if, <laughs> if it was about the Mariners. He would have been that mad. But, yes, it's very possible. Oh. Yeah. 
all all's well that ends well i guess yeah i guess i mean it's just like what the hell like i just that tournament director's reaction was so annoying to me just like there should have been much more apologizing and, and instead of I, what do you want me to do do you want me to arrest him what you, just like yeah i don't know just apologize to the guys that just got assaulted maybe you had three happen in one game because the who ref won, got assaulted too. who won the game that's the thing we won by two so that fucking free throw and missing points would have mattered, right? Like, it would have you mattered. Won. You won. One by two, yeah. Okay. Of course. All right. But yeah, oh my God. All right, episode 257, Stump the Band. Are you ready for the trivia question? Let's go. What do the following players have in common? Okay. Paul Seawald, ever heard of him? I have, yes. Colton Wong, Jesse Winker, oh. Carlos Santana, Abraham Toro, Adam <laughs> Frazier. What do they all have in common? Uh, they are outcasts who? Well, I'm guessing that they're all going to be in the playoffs at some point coming up soon. Yeah. They are all players that the Mariners didn't want anymore, yeah. shipped them away so that they could play in the playoffs on another team in another day. Awesome. Yep. And then your tweet was like the worst thing I've ever read today. My tweet? Yes. I just sort of glanced over about how we helped did did we did the Mariners help the Astros? Oh yeah, yeah. The, the Mariners, after all of that, <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> had the Astros' fate in their hands. Now the Astros were going to play in the playoffs. Right. The only question was going to be back on Sunday. Was were the Astros going to be the American League West divisional winners mm -hmm. and have a bye and set up their rotation oh, and have to play one less playoff series and then therefore have a better chance to get to the World Series and then have a better chance of winning the World Series? Or were they going to have to go the wild card route, which means they have to turn around, play immediately as this is being released, play an extra series, yeah. no home field advantage. Big difference. The Mariners had their fate in their hands, and after all of the nonsense, <laughs> what they do? where the guy is coming off the mound and trying to punch, you talk, maybe it's the same guy from the scorekeeper, <laughs> he's trying to punch Julio in the nose, after he strikes him out, he's trying to punch right. Julio in the nose. Yeah. After all of that, we hate the Astros, they hate us. We go out and put them as AL West champions. Yeah, thank you. Great job. Couldn't they just lose that one on purpose, please? Oh, would have been nice. And make yeah. the, at least make the Astros have to go to the wild card? Do we think that the Astros would have done the same thing for us? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Dusty Baker would have ordered them to lose. Yes. Right. <sighs> I know. Yes. Yes. I don't know how, how quickly I can get over all this. This it's is really hard. This one's a really – I was going back – in my mind, and I can't really do it well because I don't remember the teams anymore. I've been here 30 years, yeah. and I'm sure that there were Mariners teams and Sonics teams and Seahawks teams. I'm sure it's just how fresh the wound is, but sure. uh, this one is really, I don't know why. This one is, maybe you can tell me, why is this one so hard to digest? I'm not going to get over this very quickly, that they were the odd man out. There were, what, four teams yeah, over chairs. 10 days. Three chairs. Three ch only, <laughs> only one was going to get eliminated. That's right, yeah. It wasn't going to be like only one of the four were going to get in. Right. Three of the four <laughs> were going to get in. Couldn't have been one of the them. The percentages say yeah. you're going to be one of the four. I don't know how to get over this. I need therapy to get over this. It hurts. It, it really hurts. hurts. Yeah. really hurts. I don't know. In, in a way, it kind of would have been nice to 
to do what we did earlier in the year and win, you know, one game above 500, one game below. And so, yeah. Hurt much well, less. that's the old, yeah, is right. it easier to get blown out in a football game or to lose by one at the end in a controversial right. match? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't it, know. It's just a big disappointment. Those last 10 games. My God. Yeah. I went back and looked at it. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you'll tell me I'm wrong, but it just feels like they're just, well, clearly they're not there yet. They're just not ready to hang with the big boys. Were they ready to hang with the big boys one year ago? They won 90. They went to the wild card round. They won the wild card yeah. round on the road in Toronto, played Houston as tough a second round opponent as you can, were competitive with Houston in the second round, and then went out of the playoffs in the second round. So I ask you, before you tell me they're obviously not there yet, were they there last year and they're not there yet now, or were they never in the last two years? Have they never been, as you say, there yet? Tell me what you mean by that. It just feels like the other teams sort of passed them by. Maybe they were a little bit better. Who like passed them by? So I went back and looked. You know, Remember, in this month alone, they lost three out of four to the Rays. Playoff team. Right. Right. Swept at home by the Dodgers. Right. Playoff team. Right. Uh, swept by Texas in Texas. Right. Playoff team. Right. Lost two out of three to the Astros. Right. Playoff team. Right. I mean, it just feels Why? like. Why? Because they're not good enough or they just. I don't think that they, they have. seem good enough to me. They don't have enough, enough talent if their stars aren't doing what they're supposed to do. They don't have enough enough guys to kind of fill in the gaps if Julio's going to get cold, if Castillo's not going to pitch like he's supposed to pitch. doesn't feel like they just have enough to kind of pick up the slack where other teams are just deeper mm, and have I don't know that players. I can dance with you on that. I mean, the numbers I'm don't lie. Well, they're, they're, they lost to good teams. They did. But, it wouldn't but, matter. But, but remember, remember, what we're talking about is the difference of three games, two or three more wins... We're not having this conversation. Yeah. They're the American League West champs with a bye in the first round, and we are absolutely not having this conversation. That's how close they were. We're talking about 90, essentially 90 wins, yeah. which they won last year. They won 90. Are you telling me they're worse of a team than they were last year? They didn't perform like they did last We're talking two games away or three, I guess, two games away from being American League West champs and having a great shot at going to the World Series and winning the World Series. That's what we're talking about. Two games. So am I to believe they just don't have the players, as you said, they're just not good enough to, to win those two? It's something more than that. Yeah, it's more than just those two, though, right? I mean, it's a little... Yes, it, it did eventually come down to that. Are you following the Cal Raleigh story? Do you know the Cal Raleigh story? Of course, story? it's just... You can't... You do? Yes. You know what he said? Yes. Okay, this is what he said on Saturday after they were eliminated. We've got to commit to winning. We have to commit to going and getting those players. You see other teams going out and getting... Big-time pitchers getting big-time hitters. We have to do that to keep up. We've done a great job of growing some players here and within the farm system, but sometimes you go out, you have to go out, and you have to buy. That's just the name of the game. We'll see what happens this offseason. Hopefully, we can add some players and become a better team. That's what he said on Saturday night after they were eliminated. Mm -hmm. He's just been traded to San Diego, Cal Raleigh. The next morning. Just kidding. Sunday morning before the Sunday game, mm -hmm. here's what he said. Obviously, yesterday it was a really emotional day for everybody. <laughs> I want to apologize to my teammates, oh, my coaches, and the fans. It wasn't a time to talk about what-ifs in that scenario. And then a few minutes later, here's what J.P. Crawford said 
And J.P. Crawford, as you know, carries some clout in this organization. Sure, after a, he, a, he had a hell of a year. Yeah. B, he's the only one who's allowed to throw a ball right. to the fans. Now I can't stop watching run, that. Thank you, He Dick. runs the roost. It's like you're obsessed with it now. Do you know what he said? I don't. That I didn't this see. is what he said after Cal's apology. I think Cal had some great comments yesterday. I know there's a big controversy about that earlier this morning, and I'm with him on that. I think we need to go out there and make – Really make a move to help this team win. Yeah. Which means tomorrow, J.P. Crawford's going to say, I'd like to apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it have been so, nice if the ownership group came out and said, we're with Cal. We're sick of it, too. We're sick of waiting around oh for a my. championship. Wouldn't that be nice God, if what, they backed him? And what world are you living in what, when I'm, that's going to happen? Wouldn't that be nice? So is that just it? Is it just as simple as... Mariners ownership won't spend, won't go. And I've said it all along. You've heard me say this sure, too. Sure, yeah. This is, you know, my routine is I say they don't want to spend the uncomfortable dollar. They get to a plateau where they've spent on Julio and Castillo yeah. and the Pyramid Brewery. Yes. And, they, and, and then they get to a point and they say, that's it, no more. We're not going beyond that into an uncomfortable zone of spending. They, they obviously refuse to do that. But I don't know. I think it's... And I, I don't want to be the guy who everybody's listening to the pot. Is Mitch saying it's not on ownership? Because everybody, anybody who says it's not on ownership right now is like persona non grata with Mariners fans. Yeah. No Mariner fans want to hear me say it's not about ownership. Nobody wants to hear anybody defend ownership. Right. That'll be the end of the podcast as we know it if I defend <laughs> ownership. So what I would say to you is let's put that aside for a second okay. and just all agree that it's true. Now, by the way, I'll be the first to admit it. I wanted him to go out and sign one of those shortstops. Yep. That would have been ridiculous. That would have been the worst decision because the shortstop that they have yeah, right. it was actually better than all those guys. Right. So they would have if they if Mitch had his way, they would have gone out and spent a 35 million a year on one of those shortstop. He would have underperformed in Seattle like and always. they could have done and they could have done better <laughs> with JP Crawford. So, yep. I got to throw myself under the bus a little bit on that. Yep. But Let's just put that aside okay. for just a second and say, yes, if they had those one or two extra players that they're willing to buy in free agency, they'd be a 92-game winning team and be the American League West champs and have the – okay, we all get that, but they're not. I still want to ask the question, why was the team – last year able to get to 90 and into the wild card and into the second round of the playoffs, and the team this year was unable to do it. And I've come up with two two reasons. The first thing I think you do is you make it a math or a logic question and go through it. Yeah, I'm not good at either of those. Well, let me let me do it for you real Thank quickly, you. okay? Start in right field. Teoscar Hernandez, 26 home runs, 100 RBIs. He hit 260. Not bad, yeah. I don't think we, we we any of us really expected a lot more than that. You got more this year than you did last year in right field, Mitch Hanniger, who was hurt all the time. Right. So you did better this year. The center fielder in the two years was pretty close, as it turns out. We're talking about metrics now. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, the left fielder, Jared Kelnick is his name. He was better this year, even though... The shit when he hit, kicked the you know he was out a few weeks, but he was a better player this year. Yep. They were they were For better sure. they were better in left field this year than they were last year. Okay, the first baseman was not as good this year. No, he was he not. Yeah. Second base is just a disaster every year. I yep. don't even want to even talk about second base. It was shit last year and it's shit this year. Yep. 
The shortstop was much better this year than he was last year. Ten times better. The third baseman dropped a little bit. Yeah. The catcher was about the same if you look at the metrics, Cal Raleigh, as he was last year to this year. The DH is a disaster, which is the most perplexing thing of all. Yeah. Because the last time I checked since I was a little guy... (laughs) You can get a guy who plays any position to DH. <laughs> you can. No. And they can't fucking find a DH. Yeah. It just, it drives me crazy. I know. The Where's DH the thing? big fat guy who can just hit homers? Doesn't it doesn't, play, he, I know. he could play nothing. He could play third. He could play whatever. Where's Kent Herbeck? Just go get him. Anyway, the DH is a disaster. Yes. You do the pitching. Castillo was better this year than he was last year. Mm, interesting. Okay. Kirby, better this year than he was last year. Gilbert, almost exactly the same. If you look at the numbers, you'd be surprised. Almost to the hit, Hmm. it's exactly the same. The fourth and fifth spots in the rotation, probably better last year. You had Gonzalez and Robbie Ray, who pitched last year. Wasn't great, but was okay. They were probably as a duo better than Miller and Wu or whoever it was this year. The bullpen was about the same until Seawall got traded, which was a big thing, and then probably was better last. So you get the feeling when you compare last year to this year, you had some better things this year than last year. You had some drop offs. It's about it's about similar, and they get to and they get to within two games of where they were last year. So the question is, besides the fact that they don't go out and sign during the offseason, a right, couple right, extra, yeah. what is it? What is it? And I boil it down to two things. Okay. One, I have no metrics to back it up. It's a gut feel, and maybe somebody would tell me that I'm wrong, you or somebody else. And the other is absolute fact. Okay. Which one do you want first? Give me the gut. The gut? Yep. Over 162 games, there are going to be a lot of big moments, stressful, big at-bats, big moments, and there's going to be several big games, right? Yep. So you're going to succeed sometimes in those situations, and you're going to fail in those situations. Win some of those big games, and you're going to lose some of those big games. But I don't know why it feels to me like, in total, they don't come through in the big moment and in the big game as much as they fail in the big moment in the big game. It, it, you're not the only and one. I, and, I, and, I, and I don't know. Again, I can't say to you, right. Scott, here's <laughs> here's 35 yeah. examples of where they did come through, and here's 52 examples where they did. I can't. I can't. What I could say to you is, and maybe it's a fresh wound, what I could say to you is take Castillo for an example. Okay? He's the perfect example. Yep. Luis Castillo, if it weren't for Garrett Cole in the American League, might just win the American League Cy Young. That's how good he was. He was one of the three or four best starters in the American League this year. Yep. And yet, in the two biggest starts of his year, in this nine-game stretch, the game against Verlander, Ugh. and then the game on, what, Saturday that they had to have, or Friday, yep. Saturday that they had to have, he was at his worst in the biggest games of his of his season while having a great overall season. Yeah. I'll take Julio for an example. Now, I want to say this before I throw him under the bus a little bit. Right. I love Julio. Right. I wouldn't trade Julio for probably any single player in baseball. I think he's going to be great, and I think as the years go on, he's going to be more and more clutch. During that stretch where he was on fire, yep. he came up with some big hits and big moments where they needed him. No question. No question. They wouldn't be where they were. Even close, but that was like a three or four week period. Yeah. He was great in clutch situations. In total, 
it feels like he didn't come through more times than not. Yeah. Many more times than not. And again, like Castillo, I'll point you towards these last nine games. How many times in these big games did you see Julio come up with guys on base and strike out? That's right. One game, he struck out four times all the time. There were guys on bases every time he came up. He hit 125 in these last nine games, the biggest nine games of the of the. Now he had a great year by right. any stretch. He's going to be in the top ten of the MVP voting, just like Luis Castillo is going to be in the top five of the of the uh, Cy Young voting. But I'm telling you, I think Julio didn't come through in a lot of big moments. So that's my one that I can't prove. Right. But I have a real strong feeling. That this team, had they done better, I'm not saying they have to come through every time. Nobody does. Yeah. But had they done a little bit better in big games and in big at-bats and big moments in games, they would have won 92 or 93 games and won this division. That's my number one. When you were reading off the metrics and, you know, same kind of year and yeah. all that, I was, yeah. I was thinking about this. It does feel like, yes, maybe overall the numbers are the same, but when it came down to those right. big moments, you know, that was kind of the knock on A-Rod, who's a Hall of Famer. Everyone agrees with that. In New York, you know, he'd, he'd get the home run when they're up 8-2 to two in the ninth. And, you know, his, his stats would always be good, but when you needed him to come through with that big hit. Right. And, like, I agree with you. Julio's going to be fine. And, He's going to be clutch. And to underscore what I just said, let's go back to Castillo for a second. Castillo, again, was for the most part, magnificent. He had a magnificent season. He was everything you paid him for and then some. Mm -hmm. But in those two games, right. he wasn't. And in the one game that you went to, yep. there's Justin Verlander, who had for him a meh year. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in New York, when he was with the Mets, said he's getting old. He's not nearly as good as he was. They traded him mid-year to Houston. He was okay, but not no great shakes. He's not going to win any more Cy Youngs, whatever. But tell me how he did in the two big games while Castillo was not so good. Right. The guy who was meh over the course of the season, in the game against Castillo, how was he? Almost unhittable. He looked great. And then on Saturday night in Arizona... When we were watching the scoreboard to see how was he yeah. in that game. I don't think he gave up a run in that game either. Gamer. Gamer. Came through in the biggest moment yeah. when the spotlight was greatest and most intense. Verlander outperformed his year. Yeah. And Castillo didn't. In the biggest moments with guys on base, guys on Houston and Texas outperformed their year. Yep. And Julio, right. who had this great year, may not have. Yep. If you put your hand over the fact that they didn't go out in the offseason and spend more money, right. I don't think they were particularly clutch in big games and big moments. And I think that that is a huge difference between 88 wins. I mean, think about it. I'm just talking about a few at-bats here and a few that's games right. here. A few yeah. That's 90. That's 91, 92 games of the AOS champions. That's right. And then the other thing to me is it's absolutely fact. You can't, you can't dispute my number two okay. because it's the numbers are right in front of you. In professional sports or in any sport, in professional sports, in baseball, there's the same amount of wins in the entire major league. If you add up everybody's wins and everybody's losses, right. they're equal, right? That's right? Yeah. And that's the way it is in every sport, right? Yep. So when one team improves and ascends, somebody falls to even it out, right? Yep. The rest of the league, the rest of baseball falls to even it out. It's just math. Okay. It's it's completely math. Yeah. And whether you like it or not, 
the Texas Rangers went from 68 and 94 last year. 68 yeah. and 94 in 2022 to 90 and 72. That is 22 extra wins. Yeah. The rest of the league has to make accommodations for those wins. I would submit to you one team paid more of an expense on those Texas Rangers wins than any other team in Major League Baseball. Yeah. They came at the at the expense of right, the Mariners. The, yeah. the Mariners. Of course. So not only are they in their division and they won 22 extra games, but the Mariners last year against the Rangers were 14 and 5. Hmm. Yeah. 14 and 5. I don't want to hear what it was this year. Four and nine. Yeah. They won 10 more games against the Rangers. One opponent. Right. Right. And we're talking about, what are we talking about here? Two games. They needed two more wins. Three more wins. They had 10 more wins against the Rangers last year than they did this year. This is fact. Yeah. So when you say to me, what are the biggest contributing factors of why this Mariners team could win 90 last year and get to the second round of the playoffs? I think you've got to factor in the Texas Rangers climb. Yeah, did the Texas Rangers climb hurt Houston? Yeah, you know how it hurt Houston? Houston still won the division, thanks to the Mariners. <laughs> Instead of winning it by nine games or 10 games, <laughs> right? <laughs> they won it on a tiebreaker with the same record as the Rangers. So yes, the Rangers' ascent hurt the Astros, yeah. but it didn't hurt the Astros as much as it hurt. It didn't hurt the Angels. It didn't hurt the A's right. as much as it hurt the Seattle Mariners. I think plain and simply, the fact that Texas got good is probably the biggest reason that we're sitting here. And then on top of it all, you couldn't even beat them. When you needed to right. beat them, you, you, right. couldn't, you couldn't even beat them. Now, unfortunately, when I make this point, that's going to uncover what we covered, which is, well, how did Texas get good? Yep. I was hoping you were going to go there. How did Texas get good? Well, two off-seasons ago, they signed Seeger and Simeon, both of whom will probably be in the top 10 of the MVP voting. Yeah, okay. And then last off-season, they signed DeGrom, who got hurt, Nathan Ivaldi, who was great most of the year. Andrew Heaney, who beat the Mariners in this last in this last series. Martin Perez, they went out and got Scherzer at the deadline. It didn't work out, but they spent, spent, spent. So now it comes back to how did Texas get good? Yep. And what is Texas doing that the Mariners aren't? Wasn't just their farm system, was it? No. Sure wasn't. No. Yeah. So Yeah, it hurts. Here Can we I are. just say one more thing that just yeah. is really bothering me about the what a waste of a J.P. Crawford season. Oh, holy boy, shit. Did good. anyone see that coming Nobody, from that guy? No, I, well, I didn't. Stats and then the, the, his clutch did it with bases God, loaded. Like, yeah. who could have ever he, predicted that kind of a season? And it's for nothing. And he deserves the right to throw the ball to whoever the <laughs> fuck he I, I would agree with you. Yes, he's earned that right forever. All right, three guests and then the other stuff segment. Here we are again with Fireside Home Solutions owner John Waterstrat. How are you, John? Doing great, Mitch. Thank you very much for having me on again. It's nice to have you back. Football season in full swing. That means a few things, like it's time to evaluate your old fireplaces, chilly temperatures around the corner. Question. 
How do I know if I need a new one? Is it appearance, functionality, or both, John? It's probably a little bit of both. We always talk to people about, hey, how long have you had this fireplace? You know, what's your usage on that? Just taking a look at it. If it just doesn't look like it's doing what you want it to do, call us up. We can have one of our service technicians come out and do mm-hmm. a quick evaluation, give you some recommendations. And if that fireplace is and it just needs to be refreshed, we'll do that for you too. If it needs to be replaced, they'll hook you in with one of our sales staff and we'll We'll get that taken care of for you. Is it a little more complicated if I want to incorporate a fireplace into an area of my home that's never had one? To be honest, yes, I think it's a little harder, but it's not a full remodel. You have to kind of decide on what you want. If you don't have a fireplace and you want to do something freestanding, have that done in a day. If you want something framed up, be there and kind of be part of your room. We can help you with that. We have contractors that can help you with that. We can look at the fireplaces and see what you would want. And then we can hook you in with the contractors that do the tile and other things that are available. So I know you want us to come out to one of your showrooms. I'd like to know about the reaction to that newly remodeled Bellevue location, John. Yeah, it's been great. It's been uh, inspiring for all of us. Uh, I love people to walk in and see that first fireplace we have in there. It's a fireplace that has glass on all four sides. It's almost like a floating fireplace. Wow. You be wowed by it. But uh, yeah, just come on in and be inspired and you yeah. could be a kid in a candy store. <laughs> John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, just a terrific part partner of Mitch Unfiltered and the presenting partner of our fourth annual Beat the Boys competition this football season. Where would we be without John and FiresideHomeSolutions.com? Hey, look who it is. Katie Versio, the Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. The market's up. How's everything at Evergreen? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Everything here is going well. How are you doing? Everybody is good here. I'm ready for the new trivia quiz. The theme today is what? Today we're doing a economic and market update. I'm revisiting some of the questions we discussed at this time last year and just seeing how things have changed. Questions that I undoubtedly missed at this time last year. I'll try to get some answers right and i'm ready for question number one from evergreen golf call so the federal reserve started increasing interest rates in march of 2022 in an effort to cool inflation and slow down the economy without tipping us into a recession how many times has the fed raised rates since march of 2022 is it seven times nine times or 11 it's a lot I'm throwing seven out. It's either nine or 11. 11 sounds extremely high. I'm going to go nine. So it actually is 11 times. Yeah, so the Fed has the fastest tightening cycle on record. Where interest rates have increased significantly, now we see the two-year Treasury around 4.8%. So while we don't know what will happen moving forward, if they're going to raise again, if they'll pause or if they'll cut, we think now is a good time to lock in yields on fixed income. And of course, Mitch is in a familiar spot. Oh, for one, I'm ready for question number two. Okay, so in June of 2022, the inflation rate was 9.1%. highest rate in four decades. What's the current inflation rate as of June 2023? Is it 3%, 4%, or 5%? Well, it's way down, but I don't think it's down to three, so I'll go 4% B again. It's actually 3%. So 
inflation has come down significantly over the last 12 months. In addition, unemployment has stayed low under 4%. Right now it's under 3.6%. What they've been doing appears to have had some effect on these markers. And there I am at 0 for 2. I'm probably staring at another 0% in the face. I'm ready for question number three. Have a little mercy on me, would you please, Katie? <laughs> All right, I'm giving you an easy one this time. So it's a true or false. Okay. Both stocks and bonds are up in 2023. Absolutely true. I'm going to get one right, Katie. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. <laughs> Stocks are up 19% and bonds are up a little over 2%. So this is following the worst year on record for a balanced portfolio that I know we've talked about in the past. So it's been a strong start in the first half of the year. All the ups and downs over the last many years make this a great time to learn more about my partner, Evergreen Golf Call, a one-stop shop for all of your investment needs. Learn about them at evergreengk.com. Unfiltered. Smith out to his right. End zone shot. Metcalf for the score. This was picked. Back the other way. Witherspoon. Devin Witherspoon cuts back. What a night for the rookie. You think they love him in Seattle? A night like this for a defense to be able to play that that explosively in three turnovers and whatever, double-digit sacks, I can't remember seeing double-digit sacks, uh, is so important to us as we move into this, you know, we're finishing like the first quarter of the schedule. Episode 257 continues. I want to call it the Seahawks no table. There's still no table, but there's only two voices. You're going to have to settle for Nemhauser and Levy. You're going to have to settle for Hawk Blogger and Mitch Unfiltered as we pick up the pieces after one of, I'm just going to call it, Brian, one of the most startling, bizarre, random, regular season games I ever remember in my 28, 30 years in Seattle. This was a shocking game for so many reasons and has so many different angles to talk about. I don't know that the Big Apple's quite as big after this one. <laughs> there is there is some there are some apples falling pretty far down from the tree. Uh, like we just saw people's souls breaking on live <laughs> national TV in New York. I guess the the obvious question is how much of this was the Seahawks were improved and great and how much of this was the opponent is just terrible, especially along the offensive line. They had 11 sacks, Brian, the Seahawks. They may not have 11 sacks the rest of the year combined, for God's <laughs> sakes. I mean, I might have believed that I was watching the 85 Bears out there. What was going on out there? Well, certainly not that. But <laughs> but look, this is one of those the classic sports things, especially in football that happens all the time where you, you beat up on a, a bad opponent and you say, oh, well, they're bad. You're, you know, you're supposed to be doing that. Well, yeah. sure. But 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 the Seahawks came into this game, Mitch. They're ranked 29th, 30th, 31st, 32nd in pretty much every defensive category. They've right. been a very, very bad defense. And so when you face a bad opponent and you put up 11 sacks and you hold them to three points. And the only three points they got was on a 55 yard field goal. 
then you don't start quibbling about who it was against. You say, damn good job. They did what they were supposed to do, and you take the win, and you go to the next week. But do you think in 13 days we're going to see anything close to similar to what we saw on Monday night? Or is this just going to be an aberration? I'm going to be looking at you in a couple of weeks and Brady and saying, guys, you remember that game on Monday night where this defense was like better than any other defense we'd ever seen in Seahawks history? What happened to that? There's no way they're going to play like this against a really good, like if they were playing the Buffalo Bills in New York, I don't think that they would have held them (laughs) to three points. So let's be like realistic at the same time though, Mitch, the goal of this season never was realistically for the Seahawks to be a top five defense. I mean, that wasn't be okay. You're trying to get to middle of the pack and I don't think you can deny that this defense is building on, you know, stacking week after week and yeah. having little foundational pieces. What did you bring up in our last, you know, no table? You said the thing that's missing is pass defense, pass rush, pass coverage. What was the best part of this game? Pass rush. Those two things. Pass rush definitely and probably pass coverage not too far behind. Yes. Let's talk with Hawk Blogger about the two from where I sit. The two biggest individual stories of the game, 1A and 1B. We'll start with your buddy, Devin Witherspoon. I think the Jalen Carter thing is now you can play taps on the Jalen Carter conversation. What do they call it? A coming out party? Monday Night Football. It's entirely possible that this guy's going to have a Pro Bowl career, an all-pro career, and we're all going to think back to that Monday night, the fourth week of the season in 2023, when Devin Witherspoon had two sacks and a pick six, and I point out he almost had three sacks because Daniel Jones was falling out of bounds two yards behind the line of scrimmage when it could have been sack number three. Devin Witherspoon comes up. He's making tackles. He's in coverage. He's picking plays off. He's sacking guys. I mean... How much more excited can we be about that guy? I mean, Mitch, I was just looking up numbers, and I think some of this stuff came out. I mean, some, let's just go up over a crazy couple numbers. He's the only rookie in the NFL so far with two sacks in a game. That's nuts. <laughs> I mean, you got Will Anderson. You got Jalen Carter. You got a bunch of other guys. He's the first one to do it this okay. year. He's the first player in NFL history to have two sacks and a 90-plus yard pick six in a game. In the history of the league, he did it in his third game. And guess what? None of those were his best plays tonight. You know his best play tonight? He filled the the hole against a running back and put his shoulder in him and knocked him back three yards. Like the guy had a full head of steam. You don't see linebackers do that. And this kid did it. And he did it without a second thought. So I think this guy... We don't have to worry about whether this guy is going to be a Pro Bowl level player. I think we're talking about can he be a defensive player of the year? That might be his. All right, Nemhauser, if you're good, Nemhauser, if you're really good, you'll tell me what his grade in Pro Football Focus is going to be this week. <laughs> oh, it's going to be. I, I think you're talking at least like 93. Well, is it gonna... include the sacks? Does it include the tackles, It'll or is it all the sacks? Yeah. Okay. Include the pick six. Yeah. Is he so the? I mean, he's I would be surprised. He's the player if it's of the 95. week. He's the player of the week, right? In in the National Football League. No question about. It. I mean, has to be. Yeah. Khalil Mack had six sacks, so that's a pretty good game too. But oh. I mean, this. Yeah, he's not winning it. Khalil Mack's going to win it over Dev. I forgot about Khalil Mack. Yeah, no. That was a crazy game. But, but I mean, personally, I'll take what Devin Witherspoon <laughs> did in terms of impacting the game. Yeah. Uh, so. 
this is just huge. I mean, you got the guy last year, Tariq Woolen, Reek Woolen now. He should have won Defensive Rookie of the Year. I think you got the guy that's probably going to win it on the other side. Well, of, we'll of see. Him. We'll see. It is one, two, three games, and maybe there's an AFC Defensive Player of the Week and an NFC Defensive Player of the Week, and in that case, we can give Mac one trophy and give Witherspoon the other. That's 1A. Let's talk about 1B. We waited all this time for Jamal Adams to come back. Mm. He comes back. And immediately, it's interesting, immediately he's on my television screen either nearly making plays or making plays. It was interesting. In that drive, he kind of got juked. He looked a little older than he normally looked. He got juked off the sack. He didn't get the sack. But then he came up on a little dump-off pass, maybe a screen pass, and really put a pop on the receiver. And then a couple of plays later, he's going off the field with a concussion. He's screaming at people in concussion protocol. He's going down the tunnel into the locker room. What were you thinking? And what kind of words are there to talk about Jamal Adams' night on Monday? Well, I took it as a pretty positive sign that he made, he flashed the way you, you mentioned so quickly, so often in his first game back after all this time. I didn't think he looked slow or older. I mean, you know, maybe if I'd seen more, I would feel that way. I thought he looked like a playmaker like we've seen. And it's just, I'll tell you my two reactions, Mitch. One was, man, your heart goes out for the guy. He's battled back for this moment. He definitely wanted to do it in New York. And man, would he have had a big night? I mean, given the state of that offensive line, can you imagine the night he would have had if he had stayed in? So I I felt awful for him. The other side, and this is probably terrible to admit, but I was like, oh, at least it was just an, a concussion. Like, he'll come back from that. Like, there was a worry. I was like, is this going to be his, his last game of the season again anyway? So a concussion at least gives us two games for Jamal this year. You can't doubt that he wanted to play. Oh, yeah, he wanted to be out there. He was not happy he when they told him to shut it down and go into the locker room, right? I, I mean, you saw as soon as as soon as I saw him kind of woozy getting up yeah, and then yeah. walk the sideline, I'm like, he's not coming back. It, it, it was the only responsible decision, and I can imagine he wasn't happy about it, but it was the right decision. So should we be complaining about the Seahawks offense on this night <laughs> or not? I don't think so. We I, can. I, I don't, but it's funny because when you just said that a few minutes ago, I was saying to myself, well, I didn't see it as that bad because – with a backup offensive line, the one running back averaged five yards a carry. The other running back averaged seven yards a carry. Yeah, they didn't make a lot of plays in the passing game, but they did when they needed to. And for the last quarter and a half, two quarters, they didn't even need to make a, a play in the passing game. Gino was banged up a little bit. I, I don't know. You you surprised me with the thoughts on on the offense, that we should be complaining about the offense. Well, I mean, this Giants team is bad on both sides of the ball. They've given up a lot of points and they have not been able to score many points. And so, and the Seahawks came into this game as a top five offense by most most measures. And so I think it was reasonable to expect. And I think there was many more points to be had out there than we saw tonight. So, like, I think that the Seahawks offense had played an average game, they would have put up close to 40 points in this in this one I, I there was a lot of penalties a lot of a lot penalties. of like you know you go forward you go back so it just wasn't an efficient game but you're playing but, a backup offensive line. Yeah. how many teams yeah. in the national football league complain about their offensive line and furthermore how many teams if you said okay you got to play the second stringer and that's what they did at every position evan brown while he was out there is the second string Left guard. So you've got to play your second stringer at every position along the offensive line. How many offenses, no matter who you're playing against, 
are going to prosper in that situation. Almost none, especially on the road, prime time. Like, no, of course. They, I mean, you're so right. And how many how many teams and fans freak out when they just lose their left tackle? Right. That's like losing your quarterback. Like, right. oh, we're screwed. The Seahawks, <laughs> none of them. So, right, right. yeah, I, that's my take in general. I kind of just wipe, wipe the slate for this one on offense. And you... I think you hope that after the bye week uh, that you're going to get Charles Cross back and you start getting the offensive line healthy and then things start to get interesting. Yeah, it's funny because when the schedule comes out and you see the bye week after week four, you say, oh, mm-hmm. that's a little early for a bye week. And now you, you're thrilled this couldn't have been a better bye week. How many guys do they have to do they have banged up? Do they have to get better? How many guys are they rehabilitating over the next 13 days before they hit the field again? Uh, it, it would have been difficult for them to field a team if they had to play this coming Sunday. Absolutely true. And I think the other thing that, that you wouldn't have predicted when the season started when looking at the schedule is the road game against Cincinnati, which we'll talk about once we yeah. get back from the bye. Right. That looks winnable. Yeah. I don't think anybody yeah. thought that yeah. looked winnable going into the season. So now, like, this team has a real decent shot to have a good run here. That is the hardest game in their next few weeks against the Cleveland Browns. I mean, yeah. like, it's Things setting change. up to where Things that change. first week was really the aberration and they can start gaining some steam the way Pete Carroll likes to as his teams build throughout the year. Real quickly, does Brian Nemhauser, the Hawk blogger who we're going to follow and watch all week as a result of this incredible accomplishment on Monday night, do you feel better, worse, or the same in total about the Seahawks right now than you did before the start of the season, the days leading up to the Rams game? How would you compare how you feel right now versus then meaningfully better, meaningfully better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this, the tonight changed a lot for me because one Devin Witherspoon being a quality player that he right. is, right. Is, I mean, when you're adding a guy that's of that caliber, it changes the ceiling of, of the worst part of your team. Yeah. And then the, 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 the pass rush, I know the offensive line for the Giants stink, Boye Mafe looked good last week. He looked good again this week. We saw more from Draymond Jones. We started seeing some good things. Mario Edwards has been pretty consistently like there's some stuff that's building there that I wouldn't have told you Mario Edwards would have been a good pass rusher before the season. So I'm feeling more optimistic about what this defense can be. And the offense has not even come close to hitting their stride. So I, I feel I feel pretty optimistic. Brian Nemhauser, Hawk blogger on Twitter and, of course, YouTube and all of the different things, all the content on Patreon that uh, Brian puts out there for all of his Seahawks fans. And, of course, he's now a prominent member, one of three of the Seahawks. No t- oh, before we go, I almost forgot. It's all brought to you by Taco Time Northwest, ladies and gentlemen. Taco Time Northwest celebrating their 61st birthday this month. In October, that means 61 cent crisp tacos every single Tuesday in October. Chicken or beef, whatever you want. Mm. All 61 cents because they're 61 years old. Taco Time Northwest insists that we celebrate somebody who was doing some work. And I would think, I would think that this would be the easiest one to come up with three different guys. It shouldn't be that difficult. You want Weatherspoon? You want the obvious? Or are you going to go beneath the surface? On this. Well, if I'm going first, I'm taking Witherspoon. Oh, okay, you take I Witherspoon. Mean, okay. I mean, I, I, there's no way that I could do <laughs> any justice 
What a great performance. What a fun one to watch. And uh, welcome to the Seahawks, Devin Witherspoon. So, you were doing some work. Well, he was doing some taco time work. There's no question about that. And let's hope this was his coming out party. Let's hope this yes. was his coming out party on national television. Look, I could go a lot of different ways on that defense, and I should either pick a Bobby Wagner who had close to 20 tackles, Nwosu had a couple of sacks, Brooks had a couple of sacks running around. I- I'm just a softie at heart. They had five backup offensive linemen in the NFL playing on Monday night football. Five! So I'm just going to give a 61. I got enough money for five tacos I'm just going to give a 61 cent crisp taco to all those guys because I admire their toughness and, and courage for getting out there and at least not getting Geno killed out there. And not to mention that the running game was more than serviceable when you look at the numbers on Monday night. So my taco time doing some work are the big guys up front, all of those offensive line. I think you're going to need more than one taco per <laughs> offensive line. If I know those guys appetites, <laughs> you better get your wallet out. Thank man. you, Brian. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Mitch. Take care. Hey, look who it is. Lindsay Schwartz, Daniel's broiler, my favorite steakhouse during the summer and any time of year. How are you, Lindsay? How's everything at Daniel's broiler? Hey, Mitch, doing great. Yeah, it's summertime. We've been so fortunate to have such beautiful weather, have a beautiful summer, July, August. That means we get to open all the decks and patios. Busy, busy, busy. So let's keep up this great weather. What I can tell you is that when my buddy, old friend Mark Kalkavecchia comes to town the golfer for the Boeing Classic. He's not even in SeaTac Air. I think he's still on the plane when he texts me, hey, can you help me out with Daniel's broiler? Can you help me out with Daniel's broiler? It's a favorite of the golfers that come for the Boeing Classic, isn't it? It really is. A few years ago when Jerry Kelly won, he came into Daniel's to celebrate afterwards, and I was there and saw him and talked to him a little bit. And uh, yeah, I think the word is out. That's the place to go if you win the tournament. Too bad I didn't teach you a little about the game of golf while he was there. Did you meet him? Did he? No tips? Oh, God. That Yeah, <laughs> I, that would be a full-time job. He already has a job. I don't, I don't think he has time for that. Uh, all right, last time you were on, you talked desserts. I want to focus on appetizers this time around. It's a little controversial in the way that I never want to eat too much before the steak arrives, but you have such good appetizers. I'm torn on that. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, we we try to keep them light so we make that decision easy for you. We don't want to fill you up on the appetizers, but we just try to make them delicious. And I think we've done that. I know that I know you've talked about the scallops, how you love that one. The scallops. Yeah, the bacon wrapped scallops. Yes, they're so good. I think it's something unique that we do. We, We pick the big jumbo scallops. We wrap them in bacon. We put them on the broiler. It's just a really unique flavor. You get the Sambuca butter sauce, serve it on top of crostini. You got good taste. Those are really, really good. How about some of the other appetizers? I know from experience the popcorn shrimp has gone from a a Levy Boys favorite as their main course to now they just get a couple of orders before their steaks as they eat me out of house and home. What about some of the other appetizers? Yeah, I mean, the popcorn shrimp are awesome. I think really what makes them is the sauce. It comes with two sauces, the yep. sriracha aioli, which is spicy and delicious, and the lemon aioli is really, really good. And yeah, I've told you before, my kids love that too. Even even now they're grown up, they still got to have it. And your favorite is the crab leg? Yeah, and- I like the crab legs. I mean, the cool thing about it is if you love crab like I do, but you don't like to have to work for it and crack the crab and wear a bib, they're already shelled. We, we take the, the crab legs out of the shell, the big fry leg, which 
which is the biggest leg on a crab. Right. And uh, we serve that in a Dijon mustard sauce. Yeah, that's been my favorite. I love that so one. So I guess the uh, the moral to the story is, even if you're not in the mood for a big, giant steak, you can go to Daniel's, have a drink, and feast on the appetizers and enjoy some of the great views of the Pacific Northwest. We love Daniel's Broiler. World-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Nathaniel Lowe. And that ball is hit back up the middle. Base hit into center field. Simeon around third. He's in to score. It's a two-out RBI single for Nathaniel Lowe. And the Rangers lead 1-0. Four-run third inning. And the Rangers are an out away from a postseason berth. Swing and a miss. LeClerc gets the final out. This Rangers bullpen up to the task. Well, the Mariners no table on this episode 257. It's the last one, sadly, with Jason and Joe Church. They ripped it up in August to excitingly get back into the race, but then they were that ice cold in September to get left behind. They are the ones standing, musical chairs. The music has stopped, and the Mariners have not found a chair how disappointed should Mariners fans be? What's your take on how the last nine, 10 games went? Yeah, I look at this as more big picture because if you insert yourself into August, you're going to be a lot more disappointed than if you insert yourself into, I don't know, May. But it, it, at the beginning of the season, I think if we said, hey, they're going to win 88 games, they're going to come up a game short, however you want to look at that, however it happened, they're not going to make the playoffs. You're going to be disappointed. And to me, to be honest with you, even if they were to have squeezed in on the, on the final day or two, I would have been a little bit disappointed in the total wins number. Now I realize things happen. Robbie Ray gets hurt. Marco Gonzalez gets hurt. Penn Murphy gets hurt. Teams have injuries. Things happen. But this was a team that that on paper still should have won 90 games. And they did even come up a couple of games short of that. And I realize in the grand scheme of things, in a 162-game season, big whoop on two games. But two games is a big deal yeah. these days, and it kept them out of the playoffs. So I, I do think they underperformed a little bit. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, they just put a lot on their pitching staff all year long. And, and, and at the end of the season, those arms couldn't carry them and they needed the offense to be more consistent, to score runs early more often like they did in July and certainly in August. And they just couldn't keep that up. And I think it just shines a light on what the real problem on this baseball team was. And that's the offense. That's the consistency of that lineup. However you want to look at how they deployed it, the, the platoon splits and the Jared Kelnick stuff and getting Caballero in the lineup, whatever. They're short. I, I, mm -hmm. I did some some research, guys, and they had four positions on the field. First base, second base, DH, and right field, believe it or not, where the overall production was below average. Now, some of that's because Teo DH some, and they ended up below average in right field as well. You cannot have four positions in Major League Baseball in your lineup where you are below average. And a couple of those, DH and second base, significantly below average. You can't have that if you want to win 90, 95 games and get to the playoffs consistently. So it, it essentially turned into a little bit of a crapshoot for this lineup to be good enough to get to the postseason at the end of the day. I think it's interesting. When, when I look back at the 2023 season, it's hard to kind of put your finger on what exactly what went wrong. Like, well, what cost this team 
the chance to go to the playoffs. You know, I, I think the pitching was pretty much exactly what you thought it would be. Robbie Ray got hurt. That obviously hurt. Ran out of bullets there at the end of the season. But the pitching was everything that I think you expected it to be. The bullpen was solid, not not spectacular, but it was solid. I thought the offense actually probably maybe overachieved in a lot of ways based on the number of runs that they actually ended up scoring throughout the year. So the offense didn't kill you, but it certainly didn't win you a whole lot of games. I think ultimately it really does come down to this team just didn't have enough firepower at the end to keep up with mm. those real horses. You know, the Dodgers, yeah. the Rangers, yeah. the Astros, teams like that. So I have reactions to both of you. I'll go I'll go in inverse order because Joe just asked, you're not sure what it was. You you said something like it's just a little bit confusing as to what it was. I have two theories as to why they didn't get back to where they wanted to get. One is a theory and one is fact. Let's talk about the fact. There is no disputing that the Texas Rangers ascent. When a team rises in Major League Baseball or any other sport, other teams pay that price. No team paid the price of the Rangers ascent more than the Seattle Mariners. A, because they were in their division. And B, because they beat them, they beat them 14 times last year. And they beat them four times this year. And when, it, when the chips were down, they weren't able to beat them. So you can start right there. Whatever the Texas Rangers did, and we could talk about that all day, to go from, what, 68 wins to 90 wins, whatever they did, that cost the Mariners big time. That's number one. The other thing that I would say to you, Joe, and this is more of a theory and a speculation I'd like to hear both of you guys. And we talked about this with Hotshot Scott at the beginning of this podcast. I don't have the data to back it up. But it dawns on me that in big games and big moments, and there's a lot of them over the course of 162 game season, you're going to come through in certain cases and not come through in the other. But I think in total, it felt like when they needed a big hit, needed a big at bat, or they needed a big start from one of their stars, or they needed to win a big game, they just didn't come through in the clutch as much as maybe some of the other teams did. And I have, again, if Church says to me, back that up, Mitch, give me data on that, I can't. Look at Luis Castillo as an example. He had a Cy Young caliber season. He's going to finish, what, top three, top four in the American League Cy Young Award, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. The two biggest games of the year that he pitched, the two biggest games when the chips were down, and this is not on him, because he was great in the postseason last year, and he'll be great in big games next year. I'm not taking a crap on Luis Castillo. I'm just pointing it out. The two biggest games that they counted on was when he faced Verlander against Houston, and then on the Saturday game in a must-win situation, his best was nowhere to be found in those two games. And you could do the same thing with Julio outside of the, the four-week stretch. You could go up and down this roster, and I would ask you guys, was this team clutch enough to win just a couple of two, three more to get into the playoffs as the AL West champions. Go ahead, Church. You want to answer that? I, I know Joe's. I think I, no. I don't think you're wrong. I think I think you're right. But it, it might. Th it's more than a theory because I, I do have numbers to back that up. But okay. In the clutch, just generally speaking, in the clutch, offensively, and I know you're talking about the starting pitching and the bullpen as well. That right. absolutely comes into play. Right. The, the Mares were pretty good in in what we would call high leverage situations, close and late. The ninth inning when it's tied. The ninth inning when it's down or when they're you're down run. Whatever it is, the, the Mares perform pretty darn well in those situations offensively but the problem is they are in that situation so much 
as much or more than any other contending team this year. I think the Cubs were the only team that sniffed a postseason spot this year that had more plate appearances in what Fangraphs calls high leverage than the Mariners. Almost 700 plate appearances in those situations. Too many 4-3 games, 5-4 games. They're, they're just not, and, and I do blame that mostly on the offense. You have to score five, six, seven runs more often than the Mariners did this year. Right. Joe's right, though. Overall, they performed just fine offensively. Okay. The consistency just wasn't there. It would be nine runs, five runs, and then two runs, five runs, and then one run, two runs, two runs. They'd go into those stretches where they'd score 11 runs in four games. You can't win games consistently. They're just not enough consistency. I think if you're looking at the offseason, that we'll lineup to, has to be one, we'll two, and three. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Joe, you've been raising your hand, waiting patiently. Go ahead. You know, I think also, I think some of the the numbers from this season, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it does feel as though maybe maybe some of the statistics were a bit skewed because it does feel like Seattle beat the ever-living crap out of the Oakland Athletics this year. And, and, and a lot of those games were not even close. And they scored a lot of runs, and they didn't give up any runs. They did the same thing to the Angels. They did the same things to a couple other you know, the Maybe not the Royals, but the White Sox. They they handed, handed it to the, the Guardians. Some of those middling teams, they just really beat up on. But it seems to me like when you put the Seattle Mariners of 2023 in front of the Los Angeles Dodgers, in front of the New York Mets, in front of the Texas Rangers, the Houston Astros, Maybe the Astros aren't a great example. The Tampa Bay Rays, they they never came up to the occasion. They, they always seem to fall flat when they played those upper echelon teams. And right, so I think, right. well, yeah, maybe they ended up 12th, 13th, 14th in runs somewhere, somewhere around there. I would imagine it was quite a bit more anemic against those better teams. Church, let me go back to what you said about the offense and the way it's constituted. We're going to talk about what they need to do in the offseason here next. But I want to go back to your original comment. And it reminded me of something that was really aggravating to me. You guys like to make fun of me, and I deserve it because I'm an old guy, and I look at old stats and old numbers that don't mean anything anymore. But we've talked a lot about this, that baseball has gone to the point where everybody seems to be looking. The metrics say, let's get guys who can hit the ball out of the ballpark, and if they strike out 250 times, no problem, just as long. We don't care about singles and doubles anymore. Let's get guys who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Where there was one game against Houston, and, and they all run together now, where the, the Mariners struck out 14 times, and they lost a game against Houston, and I was aggravated. Everybody was aggravated. It was a huge game against Houston. Maybe it was the last game of the series. Can't remember. And Scott Service, Church, and I like Scott Service. I'm not a proponent of fire Scott Service. But Scott Service got into the post game in front of that microphone and he said, hey guys, the story of the game was 14 strikeouts. We got to make contact. We got to put the ball in play. And I was like, no, 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 no. You and Jerry cannot use that. I don't want to hear that because we're building a team that strikes out a lot and hits balls. And when you build a feast or famine type of team, you're going to have nights where you strike out 14 times and you don't put the ball in play. So, no, you can't. I don't want the organization telling me the, the story of the night was we've got to be able to put the ball in play better. I, I get where you're coming from there, but Scott's right. Like, th there are times when, like, then build the team are, different. Hang on. Then I, build, I'm not then, suggesting the team was built well. That That's my biggest thing with Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander. They did not build this team, first of all, to fit that ballpark. Now, they went out and, and, and did some things at the, at the deadline to get a little bit more lefty, uh, you know, stuff going in that lineup, especially with Kelnick out. Canzone helped. Rojas helped. But the thing is, they needed this team to hit 200 and 
230, 240 home runs. They ended up with 210. They needed this team to hit 300 doubles. They uh, they hit 280. They needed this team to hit more triples and to do other things to where those strikeouts didn't matter. That's how the team was built. That does leave a lot less margin for error because strikeouts are going to get you nothing in those situations. How many times, Joe, did we go back and forth? Well, I don't want to say back and forth. How many times did you say to me during a game, here we go, runners at second and third, nobody out, and they don't get a run or they only get one because there's a you know a ground ball to second and two strikeouts. The strikeouts do matter. You can have success striking out 26, 27% of the time, but you have to hit 240, 250 homers. Look at the Minnesota Twins, 230 home runs, you know, 280 doubles, 25 triples. Like there are ways you can win that way. This team was built on guys that aren't going to hit those, those balls in the gap. They're not going to get the doubles. They're not going to hit for the average. They are going to hit the home runs and they are going to strike out. So a little bit of feast or famine and way too much of that at the bottom of the order, Mitch. Yeah. Among the teams that struck out the most this year, I mean, you brought up the Twins. They hit 233 home runs. They struck out more than anyone else in baseball. The Twins also had, if I'm not mistaken, the pitching staff that struck out the most batters in baseball. So you really get that feast or famine and they're playing in the AL Central. You can really flex your muscles doing that. The only other team in the top 12 for most strikeouts in the league that went to the playoffs was the Phillies. And they hit 256, and they hit 220 home runs. Seattle hit 210, I believe. Uh, but the problem with Seattle was, and Mitch, this is to your point, this plays into your hand. The guys that you needed to hit, the Ty Francis, to keep the order moving, to hit balls into the gap. Well, you didn't see any balls hit into the left center field gap by Ty France this year. None. You didn't see many balls rocketed into the right center field gap either. Most of his extra base hits were kind of those worm burners down the down the third base line. So, you know, if you're going to have a guy like Ty France struggling and you're going to have a, a, t- a total black hole at second base yeah. and, um, you know, guys like Jared Kelnick is out for two months you're really going to have a hard time scoring the runs that you need to score. And I saw a stat the other day that said Seattle is the first team in the history of baseball with two 200 strikeout guys in the same lineup. And Eugenio Suarez and Teoscar Hernandez has never been done before. No team has ever had 200 strikeouts twice in the same lineup. That might just be because both of those guys played like 160 to 162 games. But at the end of the day, you can't have that in your lineup. And I do think they're going to have to shuffle the cards a little bit this offseason. And they're going to have to get guys that can hit and they're going to have to get guys that can keep this conga line moving a little bit farther. So let's use our remaining moments on the Mariners no table this year with what would you like to see them do? Let's first check off the box because people want me to ask it. Does anybody need to lose a job over this church? Any of the particulars? Joe, anybody, nope. anybody need, okay, service, nope, not at all. Depot, zero, zero. zero conversation okay. about that if all I'm right. John Stanton. Shouldn't even zero be mentioned. Zero conversation about service if I'm Justin Hollander and Jerry Depoto. Okay. Zero. All no. right, so let's skip by service and Depoto, and let's go to what they need to do. Before I just open the canvas for you guys and just say, hey, what do they need to do? Does Shohei Otani need to be a part of of the decision-making process this offseason, or now that he's not going to pitch next year, he's only a DH, even though they could use a DH, is he a part of something you're considering, Church? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, sh- he should be part of the decision-making you know, process because if the, the ownership's willing to spend the money and he's willing to come to Seattle, you want to go do it. Here, here's my theory on Shohei Otani and, and the Mariners. You cannot lose money on Shohei Otani. You can spend $750 million on Shohei Otani over the next 15, 20 years. It doesn't matter. You are not going to lose money on that. It's impossible. 
no matter how much he plays, no matter how little he plays, it's impossible. So even though he's just a DH next year, at least for, for most of the next year, and, and probably doesn't even pitch until, I don't know, May, June of 2025 would be, uh, you know, kind of the floor on that. Yeah, he's probably still worth $400 million, and I'd still pay okay, so two tw- That's where I am. So two $20 million a year guys to fill two spots or one $40 million a year guy in Hotani? Here's why I don't like those questions, Mitch. Why does it have to be one or the other? Like, if you're telling me it does have to be one or the other, I would take Otani because eventually you are getting, you're getting a $40 million guy and you're getting a $20 million guy All right. So at, at the end of the day. So, uh, so Otani should be part of it. Absolutely. Right. If you can get him, get him. All right. Joe, you in agreement? Go get him. If you can add Otani, but you can also add a couple of other supplementary pieces to fill some of these holes. Listen, I don't think you can go into 2024 with a second baseman that's currently on the roster. I don't think you can go into 2024 with Ty France circled in at, at first base with no competition. I don't think you can go into 2024 with whatever the current situation is for the backup catcher. I'm of the opinion that this team needs four different players that equate to $70 million. And if Shohei Otani is going to eat up 45 or 50 million of that, you're probably going to have a hard time filling the spot. So what does that mean, Church? After hearing what Joe just said for Teoscar Hernandez, how high are you going to go? When it's all said and done, again, the numbers that Mitch Levy looks at, I don't look at the Mm -hmm. advanced stuff. He was a 260 hitter, nearly 30 home runs, and nearly 100 RBIs. I don't know that I could have asked for much more. How high should they go? How much of a priority is it to bring him back? For me, not much of one. Here's where I am on the on the qualifying offer itself. I would not extend the qualifying offer to Teoscar Hernandez because just for me, I believe they can do better with $20 million. I, I really do. If you're going to spend $20 million on Teo and that money is going to get spent, if you're telling me that money is going to get spent somewhere, I'm not giving it to Teoscar Hernandez. Really? I can do better with that money, whether it's trading for a player, making some money, or spending some money in free agency. But I don't think it's a terrible idea to tender him the qualifying offer. I don't think it's a great idea to extend him a three-year offer, by the way. He's 30 years old. He's losing some of his athletic agility. We've seen that. You can see that in some of the numbers. You can see that defensively. Uh, His bat slowing down a little bit. Uh, This is a guy who needs to cheat quite a bit on fastballs. We saw what he had that hot streak, just like what the Mariners did as a team. The hot streak, Teo's hot streak, the team's hot streak, pretty much the same time period. But for the season, he's 15, 20% worse than he was a year ago, and he's beyond 30 years old. I'm not on board with bringing back to Oscar Nance. I think they can do better. So Joe just said what he would want them to do, a list of things. Church, you haven't given me your list. What do they do? Yeah, I think you need two everyday, two brand new everyday players. I'm not out on Ty France as the first baseman, and I'm not dead sold that you just have to go get someone else to compete with them because that's not really how it works in Major League Baseball. Who's going to compete with Ty? You're not going to carry two first basemen, right? So then it then it comes down to, can I get a guy who can play multiple positions who can help Ty France at first base in certain situations to take some of the pressure off him because we just don't... I would just buy in on Ty France because I don't think Pete Alonso should be an option. I don't think Paul Goldschmidt should be an option in the first base market is trash. I'm just bringing back Ty France, hoping he gets better. And I'm looking at third base. I'm looking at second base. I'm looking at DH and I'm looking at the outfield to improve the offense. All right. One thing from Joe that I want to mention. I know that we have a hard out for, for, for church spots four and five in the rotation. How do we feel about the two young guys how do we feel about Robbie Ray coming back? I don't know where Marco Gonzalez is in his contract. I don't know if he's coming back. Where are you on uh, on the two young guys who, as the season progressed, really hit a wall, it seemed? 
Yeah, I told Church this over the weekend. I think it's important if you are trying to guess where the Mariners are going to go in the free agent market to look at pitching. And I say that because I think there's more options out there for pitchers for the Seattle Mariners to go sign than there is hitters. If you're Seattle and you can take a look at some of these starters, you go sign a starter who can fill a number four or a number five spot, and then it gives you the ammunition to trade a Bryce Miller, trade a Brian Wu for a bat that you can really fill in a full-time role in. I think that makes a ton of sense, and I think Seattle just frankly knows what they're doing a lot better with pitching instruction than they do with pulling batters off the free agent line. So uh, I don't care which one comes back. I'm sure Brian Wu or Bryce Miller is going to be in the rotation uh, April 2nd in 2024, but it would not surprise me if one of them gets moved for a bat. And who do you like more of the two, Joe? I personally like Brian Wu. I think he's a little bit better athlete. I think he's got some uh, traits about his release height that are really, really tough to pit, uh, really, really tough to uh, to teach. And so that's probably the direction that I would go. I will say I'll, I'll throw this in because Church said it this weekend. The injury concerns from his past are something to obviously consider. But I just think he's unique enough that I would I would prefer to groom him moving forward. Which two? Which of the two? Church, do you like better moving forward? I like Brian Wu also, and and Joe mentioned the injury. That's going to impact his trade value. So if you're telling me I, I'm going to trade one of those two, I think I'd get more for 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 uh, for Miller right now than okay. Wu. Okay. So I'm keeping Brian Wu and, and okay. inserting him in the rotation and going out and grabbing someone off the free market, including one of the Japanese guys, maybe. That's it. You guys have been awesome. I mean, awesome. Mitch Unfiltered is a better place because of uh, my guys, Jason and Joe, who have been very patient with their flexibility and their schedules all season long. I hope that you guys will both consider coming back during the offseason and coming back next season. Uh, Church, baseball things. Thank you, Church. You got it. Thanks, Mitch. See you. And Jolton Joe, Washington State's own, without a math degree. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Mitch, for you, I'm going to come back in the best shape of my life. <laughs> Hey, it's time for a little visit from Zeke's president, Dan Black. How's your summer been, Dan? I feel like you're somewhere different every time I reach out to you. It seems that way probably because I am a lot. The Black family's <laughs> fortunate to have a bunch of great family spots for the summer. And I have been in Seattle a lot, partly for work, but also my favorite thing this summer is that my neighborhood Little League is making uh, a run to the Little League World Series. Ah, uh, Northeast Seattle Little League and Shuey, huh? Yeah, no, I heard you had Shuey on, but you know that he's just riding off the coattails of all of his past. <laughs> great nestle coaches so what they're doing is amazing and sports can be such a great source of community pride and here's a pizza guy that's going to plug another pizza place we've all been down at varlamos watching the games and you know the whole neighborhood's there and everybody's so proud and stuff but yeah what an awesome thing listen in your absence i've talked a lot about the new zeke's pizza app which makes delivery so easy from Zeke's. What's been the response, Dan? Um, the response has been good. All technology has its things and stuff, but when you just look at ratings and adoption, the new app has been a huge improvement over the old app. You know, the other thing that's been improved is just ordering straight online at Zeke'sPizza.com. So between yeah. the app and our online website, digital ordering's never been easier at Zeke's. The customer interfaces are really intuitive and easy to use. and does the basic stuff like remember your past orders and stuff so no we feel like it's been a really good success so football season is here and uh, you guys over at zeke's love football season because football season kind of means pizza what's pigskin 10 we get excited for football season at zeke's yeah like you say because hey we're football fans but it is a great pizza season as well and so if you remember when we did march madness we did a promo called hoops 10 which got you ten dollars yeah. off yeah. your order and yeah. it was 
one of the most popular things we've ever done with customers and operators, Zeke's operators. And so we're going to do something similar for football season. And so, yeah, the code pigskin10 is going to be active all football season and on what we call football days. So on Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays, and Thursdays, all day, mm -hmm. pigskin10 will get you $10 off your Zeke's order. There's an order minimum of $30 after the discount, but it's good for delivery. It's good for pickup. It's good for in-house. If you're in-house, you just mention it to a crew member and they'll apply the discount. But yeah, no, Pigskin 10, it's going to be awesome. $10 off your order all football season on football days. That's great. Pigskin 10, enter it on the app or online, or if you go into the store, make sure you mention Pigskin 10 on a football day to your Zeke's Pizza representative. We love Zeke's Pizza homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. has met the expectations they have here for DJU. It's Bolden. It. He's golden. Is Bolden. Touchdown. Back. Plenty of time. Down the middle. Guess who? Brock Bowers. Bowers heading to the end zone. Touchdown, Georgia. All right. How about that? Under center and a toss to Nixon. And a nice cut back in for the touchdown. It's New Heisel time. On this episode 257, Taco Time Northwest is 61 years old this month, celebrating by offering 61-cent crisp tacos on Tuesdays throughout the month of October. Doesn't matter, chicken or beef, whatever you want, 61 cents. Now, a guy by my math who's got Taco Time by one year. I, of course, much younger than Taco Time. He, though... <laughs> if my math is correct, has 61-year-old taco time by one year Richard Gerald Neuizel Jr. Am I, am I right about that? Born in February of 1961. You are absolutely <laughs> spot on, Mitchell. Yes, you are. And let me tell you about Neuheisel Jr. Let me tell you about him. Do you remember who your pick was last week on this show in the Notre Dame-Duke uh, game? Do you have any idea? Oh, I took Notre Dame. Yeah. And things worked out swimmingly okay, for let those me who followed along. Oh, you had Notre Dame. The, 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 the spread of the game... Five and a half. Five and a half. And all they Five needed. Five in the hook. All they needed, Neuheisel, was a field goal at the end. And the Don't running. Don't think I wasn't cursing at the television <laughs> for all my Taco Time friends. Don't think I wasn't uh, sitting there going, how in the heck have you let a 13 nothing lead just get squandered? Yes. Here? But here's yes. the thing. There's two very fascinating elements of the wager, the five and a half wager. They needed three at the end to win, which, of course, would have made Neuheisel a loser. And the running back busts through the line and goes all the way for a touchdown. So now they're up five. Audric Estime. He was doing some work he was doing for those some work. following us. He was yes. doing some work. So now all they need is the extra point to make it six and to cover the five and a half point spread. But, of course, they don't feel like they want the extra point. They're going to go for two now, which puts Neuheisel in harm's way. If they miss the two, they win by five, and they convert on the two-point play. How about that set of circumstances? Dra drama and then some. <laughs> and you know what's great about those who participate in this stuff is yeah. they're thinking this over all the way through the oh, fourth quarter. Oh and I'm God. sitting there going, these uh, poor folks who are with me on this, they were happy with me at 13-0. By, by the way, yeah. if you'll go back and listen to me 
on Thursday with Softy and the boys. I picked this game on their show as well. Okay. But I threw in a couple of little teasers, little appetizers you are. in uh, that that I also thought I took the over in the Michigan Nebraska game. Yeah. Which was a winner. Yeah. And then I took Texas State. GJ Kinney, the new coach so let me get this at straight. Uh, Texas. You want me to give you credit? No, for for your picks on softy. I'm Mollen telling show. your taco time, your taco time <laughs> throng that it was a good week, and that was supposed to happen. I'll it was tell supposed you what. to be an easy, comfortable cover. I see. And but give the Dukies uh, credit for I'll fighting you, to the finish. I'll tell you what. I'll give you credit for the selections that you made on Softy Mahler's show. The next time you ask him for credit. For the selections that you made on Mitch Unfiltered. If that's a deal, that's a deal, okay? It's a deal. It's a deal. I will absolutely pass that along uh, to the great uh, Dave Softy Mahler. Okay. Yes, I will. Okay. Now, listen, we but always I, start with headlines. Yes. We always start with headlines. I've got a few. You pick the one you like or give me one of your own. Here's the three that I find. Georgia escapes Auburn back to Bowers late. They're undefeated, but they haven't been really impressive, have the Bulldogs in their five victories. That's headline number one. I've got Sanders rallying Colorado against Caleb Williams, but falling short. And USC only wins that game by a touchdown. And and headline number three, both LSU and Ole Miss have called me, Mitch Levy, to offer their defensive coordinator jobs. <laughs> That's headline number three. Which one do you want to try first? Let's start with Georgia. Okay. 1,300 yards uh, in that last game, the one that you mentioned, the LSU yeah. and Ole, Ole Miss, Miss game. That, that was remarkable. It's the first time in the history of the SEC that anybody's run for 300 and thrown for 300 in the same game. Lane Kiffin's team did that. Okay. So fascinating. But let's start with Georgia. Georgia, in my mind, based on the two games that we've seen them play in conference, they've had a rather soft non-conference schedule. Tennessee Martin, Ball State, and UAB. UAB actually gave them a decent game. But we didn't learn anything about them. In the two games that they played against SEC caliber opponents they've been behind in both mm -hmm. 14 to 3 at halftime of the South Carolina game and 17 to 10 into the second half mm -hmm. against Auburn they have responded both times and come away with victories but have let everybody else in the country into the party and as I look at the top 25 I'm looking at the AP poll here Mitch I think you can go down all the way to North Carolina. And, and and I'm assuming that North Carolina is going to get better offensively, you know, and, and Drake May is going to. But I could go down there and, and say that any of those teams could find a way to get hot and be your national champion. There you go. Which is remarkable right. given what we've endured. Right. right. And I say endured for those of us on the West Coast. Right. For the last eight nine no years question. of the college football playoff. No question. I just wish we had the powers that be had said, we're going to 12 this year because it would be such a great tournament at season's end. The other headline that I gave you speaks to the question that I've asked you over and over again, that we're all wondering here on the West coast, because until Oregon, Washington and USC and Washington state, until they all start playing one another, we're left to try to 
figure things out by common opponents. And so USC only beats Colorado by seven. They give up a lot of yards and they a lot of points. They were ahead thirty-four yeah. to seven. Right. They were ahead thirty-four to right. seven. Right. But right. but but they showed their vulnerability. SC showed that they are not a great tackling team. They are not a great defensive team. And Lincoln Riley has had Alex Grinch on his staff, the defensive coordinator, for some time now, and they just haven't been great performances. Now a year ago, they kind of glossed over the numbers by saying, "Well, they were such a great turnover team." Mm-hmm. They turned the opponent over and got ball back and and so forth. And if it's not broke, why fix it? But if you go back and watch that that uh, Utah game in the Pac-12 championship game, they were mauled, absolutely mauled and made to look bad. So you had to think that Alex Grinch was on notice. That was a poor performance on Saturday. And uh, that was also a poor performance earlier in the year against San Jose State. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just not a great tackling team. So if you're looking for the way I calibrate what I'm seeing in the Pac-12, right? Oregon, Washington, Utah are the best three teams. And I'm waiting to see this Washington State team play UCLA this week before I'm going to take any further mention hold of, on. of the Cougars. Did Neuheisel just say that he doesn't think that USC is one of the three best Pac-12 teams? I don't think USC right now will be one of the top two teams in the wow. Pac-12 when the dust settles. Wow. I don't think the defense do, is good enough. Defense isn't good enough. The natural segue is Washington has one of those ho-hum games in Tucson. They get through it. They don't look so good, but they were never really threatened right. in the game. They won by seven because Arizona scored late, whatever. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't their best performance, but they win it. Oregon goes and does what you would expect him to do on the farm at Stanford. Both teams now this week will have a bye. They can rest up, get people healthy, and then you were part of this rivalry. It's been a big rivalry out here for a long time, but some are saying that this will be one of, if not the biggest clash in the history when you consider the national ramifications of this game in in, in 10 days, this will be oh. the biggest one in the story series history. Rick. As much as all of us would like to think the ones we were a part of were bigger. I have to admit that this will be the uh, biggest game. I, I just believe that this is uh, such a national game rather than a regional game because of the status of the two quarterbacks. They're both squarely in the Heisman race. Both teams are unblemished no losses, and both teams have looked good doing it. So this is absolutely going to be a fever pitch contest, and I'm sure the dogs are glad they got them at home. Have you seen enough of both teams being back in New York and having late games to have a an educated opinion on the outcome of the game? I think it's going to be nip and tuck. I, I, I think a line in this game would be crazy to be anything more than three. Mm-hmm. And I would say probably Washington by three because they're the home team, which right. means pick them just as it was a year ago. Now, one thing that we were talking a year ago is that Nick's was a little nicked up. So if he comes into this healthy, then you have to assume that he's going to have perhaps a better performance, but the two quarterbacks are so experienced and they're so now well-versed into the schemes that they're using, mm-hmm. and they've got headliners 
to throw to, it's a dream matchup. Yeah, it's it a dream matchup. Yeah. I've referred a lot over the, the weeks of this show, this segment, to the highly touted CBS season preview show, which actually developed a wager between you and I. Before we get to the wager, I want you to remind me when they asked you on set of that show who your final four of college football would be before the season started. Do you recall which four you gave them, or do you not remember that at this point? No, I remember. I, I, had, I had Georgia. I had Ohio State. I had uh, USC and Texas. And now if the executive producer or director of that show called you and said, I want you to do that again as of now based on what you've seen, we know you would not have the same four because you just got finished telling us one of your four you don't think is one of the best three in their in their conference now that you've watched their defense play. Which four would you give CBS if they asked you to do it all over again? I think that I'm going to leave – Everybody in place, but I'm replacing USC with Washington. Ooh, are you doing that just for me? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> no. Probably. What would you say uh, to them? And if you're, I don't want you to do it just for me. Well, I. I what would I'm, you do for them? I'm really I'm curious. York. I'm really curious about what happens to Utah when Cam Rising comes back. That's my outlier. I think Washington, given the home field advantage, will beat Oregon. I think Washington has the staying power given, you know, obviously this all is predicated on health. Keep everybody healthy. I think they have the staying power to get to the championship game. Who they don't want to play is Utah with a healthy and very competitive cam rising mm -hmm. because that trench makes it very difficult. And that defense is up to the task of, uh, making things hard for an opponent offense. Now, I don't know their secondary. I think their front is really good. I'm not sure their secondary can stay up with the likes of Adunze and McMillan and company and Polk. That'd be my matchup problem. But if they get the tight end and the quarterback back, then the offense goes with the defense. And we've seen them play brilliantly in the championship game the last two years. That brings us to our weekly update on the wager. Your guy, Quinn Ewers, 25 of 35, 325, a touchdown and interception and an impressive blowout victory for Texas over Kansas. My guy went 30 of 40 for 363 without a touchdown and without an interception and a lackluster victory in Tucson. I'm assuming my guy is still slightly ahead of your guy. Yes. Your, your guy has okay. a, a lead over my guy, but my guy gets the stage this weekend. Your guy gets the stage the following yes. weekend. Yes. So yes. it'll be interesting when we have this conversation in uh, the middle of October. Okay. Now who was doing some work and then a pick as we all know, taco time. Northwest applauds. Everyone that loves to do some work, and they're always looking for people to do some work at TacoTimeNW.com to join their team. We always shine the light on a man, a woman last week, a coach. Yes. It could be anybody related to the world of college football. Do you want to kick or do you want to receive, New Heisel? I'm going to receive. I'm going to take <laughs> the ball here early. Can uh, I predict who you're going to say? Tell me who you think I'm going to say. I think you're going to send a 61-cent crisp taco 
the way of Kentucky senior running back Ray Davis. But I don't know. I don't know where you're going to go. See, you're so clairvoyant and brilliant. (laughs) It was the Ray Davis Bowl in Lexington. Uh, I don't know if... Florida got word that the game was kicking at noon, (laughs) but uh, Mark Stoops, the head coach for the Wildcats made it clear that he knew that his Kentucky faithful could pound beers early in the morning and be prepared for the game. (laughs) And goodness gracious, they were more prepared than the Florida defense. He had over 200 Ray Davis had over 200 yards rushing in the first half. Unbelievable. Now, if you're starting to think about how well, you know, people run for yard, big yards, all the time. There are only six such performances coming into the weekend of 200 yards rushing. Only two of those were in the power five. And he had over 200 yards rushing Mitch in the first half. He was doing some work. 26 carries, 280 yards, four touchdowns and a 33, 14 went over Florida. And he was the obvious taco time choice for doing some work And that's why I was afraid that you were going to win the toss (laughs) and receive. And I had to come up with a worthy second choice. And I perused the entire nation. And let me tell you about the commitment I have to the New Heisel segment. And this is the honest to goodness truth. I actually made an attempt last weekend, last Saturday night, Sunday morning, to find out the names of the men handling the first down markers and chains in the Ole Miss-Louisiana State (laughs) University game. I did. Brilliant. I tried. I I wanted to be able to literally announce their names, and I looked them up, and I made a call, and I couldn't come up with them. Here's what I know. LSU had 33 first downs. Ole Miss had 32 first downs. 65 first downs. So I don't know what the college record is. I'm sure it's more than that. But I went around the country looking at all the high-scoring games, and you find 50 first downs, 55, 47, 40. You don't see 65 first downs made between the two teams (laughs) in a game. So I say hats off to the two men, whoever they are, the anonymous men out there (laughs) that had the first down markers and chains in the Ole Miss LSU game. May I offer an honorary mention sure. for those doing some work? Sure, sure. As you mentioned, this offensive explosion that happened yeah. down in uh, uh, Miss in Oxford. Mississippi, yeah. Oxford. Yeah. Have you heard about the Children's Hospital and the, the big uh, ceremony at the end of the first quarter every time they play no. in Niall Kinnick? No. Uh, they're at Iowa. So there's a children's hospital that sits above the stadium that they can look into the stadium and actually watch the game. And so it was uh, Kirk Ferentz's wife that said, we should, at the end of every first quarter, we should wave at the kids. Oh, I've de- so I actually be- have seen that. Yes. It becomes this cool oh, wave, man. right? Yeah. Now, as this story's you know, one of the wonderful stories in college football, one of the craziest stories in and, and uh, not so popular for Iowa fans stories is that Kirk Ferentz's son, Brian, is the offensive coordinator there. And they have struggled mightily offensively, such to the fact that they were 121st in offense oh. two years ago, oh. 130th in offense one year ago. Oh. And they put a provision in the contract that he needed to average 25 yards, 25 points a game. 
So now it's the drive for 325. Assuming that they're going to have 13 games, they the drive for 325 is a real thing. And Brian Ferentz, because they got shut out against Penn State last week, is 10 points behind. Now they won yesterday, 26. They won. One of those, hold on. Now they won Saturday. Do it again. They won Saturday with a score of 26 to 10 over Michigan State. Right. One of those scores was a punt return, but he'll take it. <laughs> he'll take it. But he's still nine behind. So as they were waving to the children, yeah. right? Somebody looked into the windows. No. Fire Brian. No. <laughs> the kids are even fed up with the offense. Oh, <laughs> I no. can't make it up. Now I'm not sure if this was doctored oh. and somebody just put it in there. Yeah. And if you did, you're sick and twisted. <laughs> but it's funny. Oh, or this kids actually wanted uh, to see some touchdowns too. I don't know, but offense is struggling as we talk about the explosion in Oxford. Yes. Send a little to uh, Iowa city, sure. please. Sure. So we've got Ray Davis gets some 61 cent tacos because it's the 61st anniversary of taco time. We've got the two men. You're not getting in the way of my two men that ran the the chains, the first down markers Brave at, souls. at the old Miss LSU game. And we've got the kids in, uh, in, in Iowa, which brings us to, I don't know how you got back to two and two, but you did. You were looking squarely at one and three right in the eyes with uh, Notre Dame faltering Estimate. against Duke. But somehow, <laughs> somehow now Bob Levy is saying, see, you got lucky now. We were on your side, Rick. Quit now or forever hold your peace. What are you going to do? Are you going to press I'm, your luck? I'm going. We're okay. going on. Uh, I, I told you earlier in the program that I'm still sticking with the Longhorns in my final four. Uh-huh. The Longhorns are in that Red River rivalry yeah. in Dallas, Texas this yeah. weekend yeah. against the uh, Oklahoma Sooners, who've been brilliant. Brent Venables has got a defense going, but too many weapons for Sark. Remember, they won this game 49 to nothing last year. I'm taking the Longhorns minus five. All right. Taking Sark, and you're laying five points to an undefeated Oklahoma team. All right. We'll see how that goes. We will be dark next week, but the next time you and I will visit will be in the hours after Duckies and Huskies, your favorite Memory of that series when you were involved was what? Oh, uh, obviously when we went to uh, Eugene and took him down 42-14 and I went out there to uh, take the team picture with us on the O with the scoreboard and guys had taken their shirts off and were dancing on the O and it made a big old scene. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, hey, we didn't want that. That was not the part of the plan. But uh, now, many years later, what the hell? It was, it was great fun. <laughs> uh, all right, Rick Neuheisel each and every week presented by Taco Time Northwest. Enjoy college football this week and we'll talk to you in about 10 or 12 days from now. Look forward to it, Mitch. Take care. It's been a while since we caught up with Jordan Flowers, my main man of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. How's everything going in Jordan's world? Hey, Mitch, it's going fantastic. I'm uh, chasing old Mitchie in the Manager of the Year Award for Little League Baseball. How many teams you got over there? You know, I was the manager of two, both my 10 and 8-year-old. Uh -huh. And I got to say... Uh, <laughs> 
I'm going to be giving you a run for your money, Combined man. Combined record? Oh, gosh. We only lost probably six games. Oh, that's six more season. than I lose. I don't lose. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. All right, let's talk about the market, the buying and selling market. It's not easy these days, but it's still doable, especially for home buyers. Give us your analysis, Jordan. Absolutely. Uh, inventory is still a little tight, but better than it was. But we are winning a lot of offers and using that 2-1 buy-down program we've talked about. Tell me about that program. Yes. So basically what we do is we are negotiating with the sellers, getting a price that they want, getting a credit towards uh, closing costs for our buyers. And they use that credit to then temporarily buy down the interest rate for the first two years of the home. So we get through this kind of elevated interest rate period with a 2% lower rate than what market is at. Are people still buying second homes and investment pieces? And what do you have to offer those types of clients? Yeah, people are buying in Arizona, California, Eastern Washington, kind of all over. We're hoping people buy second homes and investment properties. We've got a couple great options for the investment property buyer, uh, especially uh, using that debt service underwriting ratio that we've talked about in the past where they don't even need to provide tax returns. Really what we look for is qualifying our buyers off of the cash flow of the property. So it's a great program right now for people looking to pick up investment properties at good prices, get an income producing property. Is there a way to have a best guess of what the next six months or a year look like? Does Jordan Flowers have a crystal ball? <laughs> I thought I had a crystal ball, but you know. <laughs> Is it Ernie Zampezi's story? I'm not going to say when. I'm just going to know it's coming, right? I'm like We're going to get through this and they're coming back down. I think, I think we should expect for the rest of this year rates to maintain in the 6% range. Maybe we see them by the end of the year get back down in the fives. But I will say when they do come back into the low sixes to mid fives, it will again, open up floodgates for buyers and for sellers bringing properties on. So there is pent up demand. It's sitting there and it's just, we're, we're waiting. Well, I've always loved Jordan Flowers and his team at uh, both companies, not cross country mortgage, the Woodenville office, because they're willing to take your phone call and be creative. Think outside the box and to reach you on a phone that doesn't have a full voicemail, Jordan Flowers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I just got a new phone. Okay. My kids like to tease me that I'm the no upgrader. Okay. I don't upgrade my phone. Okay. I've had the same one for six years. All right. And I've now upgraded and I'm setting up the voicemails. Everything's going to be Phone number? Here. Same phone number? Give us the number, please. 425-890-2957 is the best one to reach me on. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage and JFlow, Jordan Flowers. Without guys like him and companies like theirs, where would Mitch Unfiltered be? Cross country mortgage unfiltered other stuff segment episode 257 hot shot scott would you like to well we should start with the dogs we haven't mentioned the dogs yet that's true we, we talked about seahawks monday night football against the giants we talked about what happened to the mariners your dogs had one of those games yep I think there's a lot of people out there that are going, does this mean they're not very good? They, yep, didn't, yep. they didn't blow Arizona out. Yep. They only won by seven. Yep. He, only, he didn't even throw for a touchdown in the whole game. What, the, the wheels have come off. Are they a fraud? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you saw my tweet, but no. I said, yes, they didn't win 56 nothing. No, they didn't. They got a win in the desert, in they the did. conference. They're still undefeated. Oregon's yes, they undefeated. And seven versus nine is going to take place in Seattle. 
fucking enjoy it, right? I mean, do you remember that loss? I've said it before. That ASU loss yeah. in 2022 broke my heart. How the hell could they lose that game? And they didn't lose, everybody. Arizona State was in the middle of oh, disarray. They fired they their get, coach. They were getting ready to fire their coach. There oh. were NCAA investigations. All bad. The, the, the vultures were oh, circling. I know. And, and you lose to them. And you lost to yeah. them. Right. So that didn't happen, everybody. They're well, undefeated. Well, not only did that not happen, I doubled down and say there was never a moment. I watched every play of the Saturday night game, and there was never a moment that I ever felt that game was in jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah, did it end up a seven-point game? Yeah. Fair point, yeah. Yeah, did Arizona move the ball? Yeah. I'm a little troubled that they moved the ball without their starting quarterback and out their starting running back. They were playing second stringers. Yeah. But, and, and maybe I'm just naive, but never did I sit there and say, ooh, this game could get away from I never felt that at any point. Nope. No. That's a fair point. It seemed under control the whole time. It did. So, yeah. no, they I, won by seven. I'm not worried. Like, I think Oregon's really good. Yeah. And the Huskies' defense worries me a little bit. Right. But they're still undefeated. They're, they're still undefeated, a good team. and both teams have the bye week. I mean, let's go. And then, right? in, a, and then in a couple of weeks, oh, I know. Good. How fun. Game day will be here. For sure. Yep. Oregon, Washington, maybe more on the line in this game between those two teams than ever before in yeah. the series. I this think could so. have This could have the biggest impact nationally than any other Oregon-Washington game. And I, and my guess is, without looking at it, and I may be wrong, somebody will prove me wrong on this, if you even take Georgia, who's been unbelievable the last two years, they're back-to-back national championships, yep. I'll bet you if you go back game by game in their undefeated seasons, yeah. you'll find results like this, where they went to, like, I don't know, South Carolina and won by seven or ten. That's right. Yep. I'm, I'm sure it that... Happens. Of course, it probably didn't, but <laughs> it was 56 nothing every game. It sounds good. Anyway. The only one that I can have in my life was the 12-0 Huskies. You know, they I think they beat Cal 10-3 to or 10-7. Right. Right. I mean, Cal was pretty good, but yeah. they, they have those games. You know, the, the 90 Huskies lost at home to UCLA, who wasn't even in the top 25, and it happens. You have these games where you maybe can't get up for it. You're looking ahead a little bit. The trap games, people like to call them. I don't know. But they got the win, everybody. It, it's fine. Right? It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. And then the other thing that I, I'll mention at the top of the other stuff segment is it was great to see Team USA again go over and get spanked by Europe <laughs> and Italy. It's always great watching a team that's a lot more talented than the other team go over there and just not be tough enough. Us Americans just not tough enough with the crowd over there and everything. And they just get wiped off the golf course by the European team. So, yeah, I saw a lot yeah. about that on Twitter. People yeah. were... Uh... Fights in the parking lot. Jesus. Rory was putting his finger in people's faces. Oh. We had caddies. We had Fred Couples' caddy hanging out and trying to distract Rory on the 18th green. Oh my it got gosh. a little dicey <laughs> for a no, golf thing. If that happened multi- every week in golf, I'd watch. Jeez, yes. For God's <laughs> sake, so I went to a golf match and a hockey game broke out. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but uh, I just want to applaud... Team USA for going there and getting their asses kicked. Great job. Yeah, nice job. Yeah. All right, New Mexico State didn't only beat rival University of New Mexico earlier this month. Quarterback Diego Pavia, did you see this? No. He also allegedly peed on UNM's logo. Jesus. An act that was seemingly captured on video, of course. Uh, Yeah, so they're rivals. A spokesperson for UNM told the Albuquerque Journal they became aware of the video several days after the game and notified New Mexico State of the situation. So I think they actually play next on Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken, against Florida International. So we'll see if uh, Mr. Pavia is playing or not after pissing on the turf of the other team. What a dummy. (laughs) 
Oh, uh, did you see that Damian Lillard was traded to the Milwaukee Bucks? It's funny. There was a commercial with him on. I don't know. A Saturday, my wife and I were watching. She's like, oh, who does he play for again? I'm like, great question. I think he wants out of Portland. I look it up. He's on the Bucks now? He just got traded That's, last I week. I just yeah. looked it up. The yeah, Greek serious. freak and Could be sick. Damian Lillard Could on the be same team? team. Now, you tell me, is Lillard past his prime or does he have a lot left? Well, or? I don't watch it closely, but I could tell you from what I can see, he's still really, really good, but okay. maybe not as, not you know, just like a tick. Yeah, right. A tick less than his exceptional self. Not hitting the 80-foot game winner with Wheeler on the call type. Or maybe type not days. doing it as often. Gotcha. Okay. He could bite through a rope. <laughs> is that Wheeler? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And Greg Popovich can bite through a rope. He's so mad. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah, good. Yeah. I love uh, so Damian Lillard to Damian Lillard to Milwaukee. How about the, uh, do you want to mention the MVP of the WNBA season? You want to mention her by name? Go ahead. Somebody named Stewart. I think we used to watch her here yeah. in Seattle. How'd she do in her first year? Uh, over there in New York yeah. after she left Seattle like so many do. I didn't realize I was such a Fairweather fan. I didn't watch one Storm game. Not one no, with her and Sugon. Not, yeah, not one. Not one. I used to because I used to go. I, but I, I have season tickets to the Liberty. I, 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 that's a hell of a team. The Liberty oh, was so Ve- and Vegas with Plum. Oh yeah, I'm I'm rooting for a showdown in the WNBA finals. <laughs> As am I. New York and Las Vegas. <laughs> I don't even know if they're still both in it. Go but Plum. Yeah. Uh, 2023 WNBA MVP. So here's what. She, how old would you say she is? I don't even know how old she is. Take a guess. 28. Two MVPs. Two WNBA championships, two WNBA finals MVP, five All-Stars, a Rookie of the Year, and a four-time NCAA champion out of four years. She's done okay for herself. That's unbelievable. (laughs) If you look at Sue Bird's numbers like that, hers are like untouchable just because she's played longer. Yeah. Stewart might pass her someday. I mean, oh. It's yeah. crazy what How she's doing. She yeah. And she's a mom, too, by the way. And she's a mom. <laughs> How do you fit time in for that? Holy yes, shit. Yes, indeed. All right. Yasmina Khan, she's been pretty successful moneymaker on OnlyFans. I don't know if you saw this. She makes around $300,000. Oh, I've, I've got an OnlyFans story. Oh, do you? Okay, maybe it's the same no, one. No, it's not the same one. Well, she makes about three hundred grand a year by selling videos. She sells her farts in jars. Oh, you did this last week. But even sells her toenails to fans. Okay, well, one such fan... Toenails to fans? May not be a subscriber for much longer. However, his wife caught him checking out her content and decided to rage at the model on Instagram. Khan uploaded the screenshots. The wife said, why do you post twerking videos? Twerking I, videos? Twerking, where she's, you know, yeah. I caught my husband jerking off to your videos. Hey, it's hey. not right. Put the videos <laughs> hey. down, please. Hey, the door's open. It's People a quote. Can hear. I'm quoting You're this woman. You're in the woman. Levy family, she's for upset. God. What the hell are you doing? Farts and jars uh, is cool, but uh, uh, jerking yeah. on that's too much. Okay. <laughs> that will fix the marriage, I'm sure. As of, uh, as of this recording, the videos are still up, so be careful out there, everybody. I guess I should skip to mine. I was going to do mine later. Should I skip Only to my fans? Yeah, it's a it's a good one, actually. <laughs> Only fans is uh, turning life. It's not like down. yours, though, but it's <laughs> all right, go on. A Missouri high school teacher yes. was placed on leave on Wednesday after administrators found that she and her husband run a OnlyFans page. The St. Clair School District launched an investigation. <laughs> and please don't don't start doing searches. Continue on with the show right. when I say the name. Right. Into Brianna Coppage, 28. Yeah, I know. Over her scandalous side gig shortly after rumblings of the account swept through the community roughly 55 miles southwest of St. Louis. I, I think she's very well spoken. Listen to what she says. Quote, it was kind of always like this cloud hanging over my head, she said to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I never knew when I would be discovered. 
Then about two weeks ago, my husband and I were told that people were starting to find out about it. So I knew this day was coming. The freshman and sophomore English teacher said she was motivated to launch her account over the summer to bolster her measly educator salary of $42,000 a year. Coppage's only fans channel, Hotshot, raked in between $8,000 and $10,000 a month, which has now since doubled following the news of her suspension. <laughs> of course it has. She's up to $20,000 a month. Jeez. This is her talking. The district says they haven't made a decision on me yet, but I'm just kind of putting the pieces together that I'm not ever coming back. Yeah. I'm very aware that I'm probably never going to teach again, but that was kind of the risk I knew I was taking. Yep. I'm sad about it, and I will miss my students. That was like my completely separate personal life outside of teaching, she said. She said, there is this expectation that teachers should be the moral leaders of students. And I don't disagree with that. I taught the curriculum. I taught students reading and writing. I didn't guide them on my thoughts and beliefs. And I can't control what people think of me. I just know who I am as a person. I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm a good friend. I'm a good family member. And that's all I can think about right now. Very well spoken about this to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Well, she's an English teacher. Is that what they she's Yeah, she is. She <laughs> okay, is it English. makes sense that yes. she'd be able to throw some she words together. Doesn't teach French. That's right. Maybe she should. So I just wonder, like, who's who's dirtier, her and her husband for doing this, or the people looking for it? I mean, like, who the hell found this? Hey, you're looking real hard for it. You're really going out of your way to see if she's doing this. Is there going to come a day after probably we're all gone off this earth, do you think, that if something like this happens the teacher will keep her job and be able to do both. Yes. You think that day's think, coming someday in the world? Yeah, you think that'll I happen? I do. I think it's kind of, this is all new to everybody. And yeah, I, I'm sure it'll happen at some point. Really? There, there might at be some teachers point, out there where it's happened already. At some, at some point, teachers are going to be able to do this type X-rated content and then go in each day and teach kids. You believe that to be true? I think at some point we'll, mm. we'll become mm. numb to it. And, mm. I, and it, but like I said, it might already be going on. All right, you bring up a lot. I do too. Memorabilia that gets auctioned off. We do that a lot on other oh, stuff. Oh, I got segment. a good one. I got a good one. I got the best one. It's probably the same one. I found one that I now really think is super cool that I'd like to have. I can't believe mine exists, but go ahead. Neither can I. It's, it's so old. One. It's the same one. Go on. It's the same one. Two front row balcony tickets. Unbelievable. I want these. From the night Abraham Lincoln was assassinated inside Ford's Theater, sold for $262,500. Oh, that seems light to me. The trapezoidal-shaped ticket pair with a corner believed to be clipped on admission is from the DC Playhouse's rendition of Our American Cousin and dated April 14th, 18th. Would you not like this? April That's 14th, amazing. 1865. They are marked for seat numbers 41 and 42, along with section D, penciled in for the dress circle area of the theater. They reportedly offered an unobstructed view of the murder of the union leader who was shot by John Wilkes Booth. Probably not what they bought the tickets for that night, <laughs> but if you're curious, yes, they would have been able to see the gunshot. I know, unbelievable. And there's pictures of them, like, they, they don't- I want these tickets. Amazing. How are those still... Can you imagine? Must have just gone through family member and family member. Is it possible that they're... 
fraudulent. I think those auction houses are uh, pretty good at, at uh, weeding How out the frauds. How are ticket stubs from 1865 still around? I don't have one from 2015 at my house. I'm what like do you a mean? Movie. A couple of days ago, I went to see the, the GameStop movie over there at the, uh, yeah. at the South Center. <laughs> I don't even have those. Right, I know. It's crazy that they exist. I couldn't believe that when I read that. And they look great. They're in great shape. Yeah. Unreal. Yep. All right. So I wanted to do the story about Catherine Veritek. Oh, I have that. Yeah. But he since passed. God. Yeah. Isn't that a terrible, terrible story? Jeez. The two of them? So Catherine Veritek. You're talking about the Kurt Schilling yes, aspect of Let him have it on. Yeah. yeah. And I hope. Well, Kurt Schilling announced, despite the wishes of the family to keep things private, he decided to go ahead, screwball Kurt Schilling, who nobody yeah. likes, decided to get on his podcast and tell the world that his former teammate, Tim Wakefield, had an aggressive cancerous brain tumor and Tim Wakefield's wife was fighting pancreatic cancer, God. which the family wanted to keep both private and deserved to be able to do so. Yeah. But of course, Kurt Schilling decided otherwise. No, I'm going to, I'm going to out him. Well, he justified it as a Christian and a man of faith. I've seen prayer work. So I'm going to talk about it. That was his justification. That's not his, it's not his place, not no. his place. So what did Catherine Veritek say on Twitter? Go ahead. Fuck you, Kurt Schilling. Four <laughs> That's words. Right. That's right. That was it. That was it. And then as I was getting ready for the podcast, Tim Wakefield Terrible. Passed, passed away. 57. Man, 50, right, 57. 57, knuckleballer, Red Sox, very popular teammate, knuckleballer for the Pirates. Two-time World Series champ. Terrible, terrible. Are we into the RIPs already? I guess um, we are. We kind of are. Yeah, unless you have anything else. To, oh, Yeah, we can do the RIPs. You don't want to follow that Kevin McGrath, the missing Carnival cruise passenger who mysteriously disappeared during a Bahamas trip? You even read this story? Uh, that's, a, that's, hard, that's a hard segue from Tim Wakefield and well, his wife. To this her. guy, he disappeared off a Carnival cruise. People were looking all over the water for him, right? Where was he? Well, turns out he was on probation at the time. Oh. Which adds a whole new wrinkle to the case. Yes. He had some, uh, some legal troubles over the Labor Day weekend. Something tells me Kevin McGrath doesn't want to be found and... He's gone. I think he just he jumped, jumped ship because really? he's on probation. So nobody has found him. But I will trust me. I will keep you guys updated. I hope you will. If he surfaces tending bar on an island I hope somewhere, you will. I hope there's video of it. Other IPs besides Tim Wakefield, which I find very sad, especially because the wife is now dealing Ugh. with not only her husband's death but a very grave condition herself. Yeah. The great Brooks Robinson passed away at the yeah. age of 86. Uh, the human vacuum cleaner, they called him, during the 23-year career with the Baltimore Orioles. The yeah. great Brooks Robinson, Hall of Famer, two World Series, 66 and 70, 18-time All-Star. 18. And Amer yeah. <laughs> 16-time gold glove winner. I mean, 16. 16. He was an incredible Jeez. defensive third baseman. The American League's most valuable player in 1964 passed away at the age of 86, hotshot. How about being inducted in his first year of eligibility? Not a surprise. In 1983, which had never happened before for a third baseman. How is that possible that a third baseman had never been inducted? Hard to believe. In yeah. their first year of oh, eligibility. Oh, in their first year. In their first year. And, yeah. There's probably been some good ones before him. One of, I the, don't greatest, know. One of the greatest third basemen of all time. That's Maybe amazing. the greatest third baseman of all time. And a, an incredibly popular guy in the Baltimore area. Mm. He stayed there all these years after. Always visible. Always approachable. Mm. Really a sweetheart of a guy. Really sad to see that Brooks Robinson is gone at the age of 86. Diane Feinstein. Yes. The esteemed longtime senator from California. She passed away. 
She was the longest serving female member of the Senate in history, spending more than three decades within the hallowed walls of the Senate. She was a staunch Democrat from San Francisco and a strong voice for gun control. She's, I didn't realize, have you, did you ever watch the movie Milk about Harvey Milk? Do you know that whole no. story about yeah, the San activist? Fran- San Francisco? Yeah, 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 yeah. So before serving in the Senate, Feinstein cut her political teeth as a member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. She became mayor of San Francisco in 78 after the mayor was assassinated along with supervisor Harvey Milk. I didn't know that she was the next one out. I mean, she's been doing this for a long time yeah, is my point. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. holy shit, she's been around. Yeah. She became a U.S. senator in 92 and was 90 years old. Now, did she pronounce her name Feinstein or Feinstein? I heard, it's funny you say that. I, I looked up a Because YouTube I wanted clip. to make sure that there is a decent Feinstein or Feinstein in America. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've always thought was weird because it's E-I-N in the yeah, front. E-I-N. Yeah. Why are they pronounced differently? How does that work? I don't know. So weird. She was uh, 90. She was 90 years old. 90 years old. Yep. Yeah. Uh, You probably don't know. um, You're not a Harry Potter guy, but this is big in that world. Actor Michael Gambon, I think it's pronounced. Best known for his role as Albus Dumbledore in the Harry Potter films, died from pneumonia. He was cast in the most memorable role as Dumbledore in six of the eight Harry Potter films after his uh, predecessor, Richard Harris, passed in 2002. He was in tons of movies and and theater, and it even says he did radio in here back when radio used to be a viable way to make a living in life. He was 92 years old. Hmm. Headlines! An American chess player has categorically denied using vibrating anal beads to beat the world's top player during a tournament last year. (laughs) We talked about this. We have talked about this on the show. Yeah, we did talk about the accusation. Now he's come out. He's categorically denied it. Denying, yeah. It's preposterous, the chess player said. I'd never waste the batteries on chess. A 45-year-old dad from Colorado put his physical training to the test by breaking the Guinness World Record for the most chin-ups in one hour. How many is that? A 45-year-old. I don't know. That's incredible, said his wife. Any chance the goddamn fence is getting fixed before winter or no? (laughs) My wife wouldn't be that impressed. (laughs) Fake belly buttons are sold as a quick fix for anyone who wants their legs to look longer. Have you seen these? No. Fake belly buttons. So you pull your pants up over the real belly button and you place the fake one up a little higher. So it it gives the illusion that your legs are longer. Yeah, it also gives you the illusion that you're... Pants are way too high. The company is now working on a way to actually make your ass cheeks a little longer by selling <laughs> fake buttholes. And finally, Jesus a Phillies fan oh and his emotional support animal, oh. an alligator named Wally Gator, were denied oh. entrance to watch the Phillies. Remember the play cartoon, Wally Gator? It's probably yeah, where you got the name. Yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. So Philly said you can't bring an alligator in. The Philadelphia Eagles said, "Hey, come watch us play. There's a thousand creatures more dangerous than an alligator in our stands." Oh, always, always a good time to take a shot at the Eagles fans. All right, let's do a couple special shows this week after each of the Mariners' playoff games. Uh, episode, How dare you? Episode 257. I joke so I won't cry. Yeah. It's in the books.